It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. Well, if the pre-match banter is any indication of what lies ahead over the next three hours, this could be fun. <laughs> Elliot and Francis already at each other's throats. Good start from Ben Francis on the music. Thought he started a little bit slowly last weekend, but <laughs> bang on from the start, from the first delivery. Your captain always wants your first delivery to be great line, great length. length. Mate, the better player, and that's exactly what Francis has well, done. I think he actually caught your outside edge. Had <laughs> you taken it second slip, you reacted uh, furiously to that. Uh, welcome aboard the show, one minute after 10 o'clock. Welcome to the Saturday session. Insert sponsor's name here uh, on SENZ. We roll from 10 through to 1 o'clock. Uh, my name is Daniel McCarty. Hello, Grant Elliott. Hello. And hello, Ben Francis. Good, Good morning, morning, sir. Morning, Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Great show lined up, he says, uh, confidently. It is. It is a great show. I I saw the names that uh, obviously I was quite busy commentating down south. Yeah, we'll get to that the, in just a moment. The Bangla Wash series. Bangla Wash. But um, Ben Francis and yourself have produced an amazing show and a, a great array of guests. So, some new voices. I don't think we've had the great Sumo on the program before from Spark Sports. Uh, Scotty Sumo Stevenson's going to join us. Man of many many talents, of course. Oh. Grant, as you know, he's going to. Um, Review the opening week of the uh, the Women's Rugby World Cup. Uh, look ahead to the games this coming weekend. A couple of doozies uh, we're looking forward to. He will join us later this hour. After 11, our Saturday session legend, a legitimate legend. Uh, well, they all are uh, in association with Somerset. But, uh, you know, one of my favourite blokes in all of uh, the sport covering the game. Just uh, a wonderful sense of humour and a pretty darn fine bowler, wasn't he? Oh, no, brilliant. Um, and we'll hear a lot about his career. I mean, he had... He had an amazing career. He did so well as a, as a cricket player uh, with ball in hand. Um, and we'll talk. Have, have we hinted enough at who it could be? We'll talk ball in hand, very good bowler. And we'll talk a little bit about his batting. His batting was not what, too, too often discussed. Yeah, it was. My liking. Yes, of course, it can only be Chris Martin's going to join the show over 200 test wickets for New Zealand. He played in the first T20 World Cup. Board New Zealand. The game has evolved a fair bit since then, but uh, uh, we'll pick over the cross. Uh, you know, a, a wonderful, a wonderful career. He's a fun, fun, fun man, and local yeah. as well. He's he's born these days. Very close to the the studio in the Riviera over here. And uh, we'll have some uh, live horse racing after twelve o'clock. We'll also catch up with David Cho to talk a big week for New Zealand football. Not only did the A League season kick off. Heartbreaking fashion for the Wellington Phoenix, conceding late on a one-all draw. But the big, big story, of course, Danny Hayes' departure from New Zealand football, a 
vexed subject matter as far as I'm concerned. Would love to get the verdict of our listeners on that or any of um, the sport going on at the moment. It's a huge weekend. Big shout out, though, to everyone in Auckland. Hi, hope you're doing okay. Look behind you, there's a lion. There's a lion behind you, duck. Run away. Like your Auckland defenders did last night. 54 points to 19, if I'm not mistaken. Have I got that right? What a, yeah, what, wow. what a performance. But we spoke to Dominic Bird uh, last week, and he was talking about how good the culture is and the feeling in the team. And we were just talking off air about, you know, I wonder why there's been such a turnaround from this Wellington rugby team. Um, but they, they look like they're playing with a lot of passion, a lot of drive, and you can see it. Like, it's, vi- it's visible every time they, they take to the field. So... So nine in a row, uh, it's been a big year for the Wellington Lions. They, they look so off the money in their first two games of the season. North in week two. They lost to Canterbury in week one. Uh, got thumped by Canterbury. Canterbury up against uh, Bay of Plenty in the second of the semi-finals. Um, uh, Canterbury, uh, you would think, would go through there. And they were good heart palpitations to all Wellington rugby fans. It's only 22 years ago Wellington last won uh, a national provincial title. I don't know how many Canterbury has won since then, but way 22. too many. 22 long years. Uh, we're... The likes of John Olomu sprinting down the, the left-wing side, fending Marika Vunambaka repeatedly, scoring in the left-hand corner uh, in Christchurch against Canterbury, of course. Uh, good luck to the Heartland Championship uh, semi-finals time there. Gee, we, we, we can't quibble about how much sport's going on because we've got three World Cups starting. There is a lot of sport. Well, one started, there's two about to start. The T20 Men's Cricket World Cup and the Rugby League World Cup. And that New Zealand side they have named... There's only one change from the side that played uh, Matuma, uh, played Tonga late earlier this year, um, and it's probably a player who would have started in that. You look at the players that haven't made the squad. There's so much depth in the New Zealand forward pack. Uh, hopes have got to be pretty high amongst our rugby league fraternity, right? Uh, here's a question for my esteemed colleagues and the listeners on 0800 150 811. The lines are open. You'll get through right now. Uh, it's an open forum. You can set the agenda, but here's a question. How, of the three World Cups that we will see, or are seeing, and we'll see in the weeks to come, who has the best chance of lifting the trophy? Is it the New Zealand Rugby League side? Is it the New Zealand men's T20 side? Or is it our Black Ferns? I would love to get your verdict on it. What side do you have the biggest hope for? 0800 811. I think I've convinced myself it's the Rugby League. Oh, the Rugby League. Yeah. I think I have. I told you the the first ever rugby league game I went to was the World Cup in Brisbane. Not the, the World won. Cup final, right? Yeah, the final. 2008. What a, what a day I that was. Left a straight one, last ball of the day. <laughs> and then got tickets to the World Cup final. <laughs> what um, a night that uh, was. Yeah, it was a brilliant night. But you speak about sports, and, well, I'm, I'm going to say the, the Black Ferns. I, I'd okay. love to see... Is it hometown? Just because it's hometown, yeah, the hometown. I just think it would be great for sports, great for women's sports, patriotism. That's a heart overhead call? Nothing wrong with that. a heart overhead. That's what we're all about on the show. But what I want to talk about with a lot of sports next weekend, so I know we've got a lot of sport this weekend. Next weekend, we've got um, the Black Ferns versus Scotland, Mm -hmm. 4.45 p.m. Then you've got the NPC final at 7 p.m. Phoenix versus the Jets at 7pm. You'll have Lahore and Meads Cup finals too in the Heartland. Oh, wow. Then you've got the FIFA Women's World Cup draw at 7.30pm. 
And then you've got the Black Caps versus Australia T20 World Cup at 8 p.m. You know what that is, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls? It is time to earn some brownie points in the next six days. Get Speaking of brownie done. points, I think last time we spoke to this gentleman, he was cashing in all his brownie points. Dean from Dunners. G'day, Dean. G'day, Dean. Yeah, good night last night too, to be fair. Old, um, I didn't see the first try, but I was happy that Julian got it. And then I had TJ and that, you know, those bonus things. If he scores a try at 19 bucks, I think it was. So, oh, oh yeah, listen to you. you. You're part Wellingtonian now, aren't you, mate? You, you basically should no, be no, sitting no, next no, to no, us. I've always liked them because Pirates and Bacard was black and gold, so there's always been a little bit of, you know. And I actually gave away the Wellington jersey that I had to a barman at the St Kilda pub because he's a good bugger and it's his team. And then I had I was fortunate enough to have John Preston's blazer, believe it or not, Wellington blazer, so I gave that to him as well, so... It is what it is. Too much You're time. a generous so, man, so just giving away memorabilia just like that. I, I'm sure you, even, you don't give away the skull and crosses uh, away as easily. No, no one will get that. No one. No one at all. But um, what I was bringing <laughs> for was you said about that question of which World Cup team. I honestly believe that the All Blacks are a chance providing they pick the right player. Like Armoa last night, for me, was absolutely... Oh, you're talking about the All Blacks next year. So I meant the Black Ferns. I think the best chance could possibly be the Black Sox. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Gee, gee, they've done some winning, haven't they, in the past, Dean? They have, but softball's growing. Not so much in New Zealand, but worldwide's sort of growing. The competition... Mm -hmm. All of these competitions that we're having, actually, at the moment, is so good for... Nobody knows. Like, I, I, I love what I'm watching with the Black Ferns. I think Ruby Tui at fullback today could be something special. She was an energizer battery last week. Fullback. Yeah. Mate, that's perfect for her, the way she... She was playing fullback anyway on the wing, much like what mm. Will Jordan's doing for the All Blacks. So I think that could be interesting. I'm a, I'm a little bit worried about their forward bulk mongrel when it comes to playing England, I think they, they might be bounced off the ball a wee bit, which is a bit unfortunate, but that's just how I see it. I mean, I love the girl Hera Winnie at seven. I mean, at seven. Mm-hmm. But I just think she's a fabulous lady, fabulous rugby player, but seven's woman's. Have a look at the Canadian number eight. Have a look at her, and we don't have... Well, you just look at the numbers. 14 minutes a game to eight, Tati. It's a substantial change, isn't it? And I think she's even de- described about, you know... You know, teaching her body to get through a, a game. She, she's doing it during a tournament, which is not yeah, ideal. Yeah. But that, that's the that's the, the scenario they find themselves. And when you, the direct comparison to the English, they're you know, and they're fully professional. Oh, it, totally. And like they said, I heard on the radio yesterday when I was listening that someone said England are playing the same team, the same team, the same team. Well, actually, when the All Blacks used to beat everybody, that's what we did. So the, mm. the, we've we've created the blueprint of how to be successful. But now all of a sudden. Good old Mitchell bought in rotation many moons ago, and we haven't managed to flush the dunny with it. Like it's just—it's an absolute joke. Rotate the reserves by all means. But the well, Dino talking about well, they—they—they well, they, they went they went to a more consistent lineup based on the fact that they'd struggled results-wise, right? Ironically, this year at a necessity, and I actually really enjoyed it. Mm. Well, you, you mentioned well, Mitchell, Dino. What? What about the, the, the Black Caps going to the World the Cup? The better now? of the two Mitchells, yeah. Yeah, the better. Yeah. <laughs> well, father well, of. Well, I, I think John Mitchell's officially called now, father of. We've, we forgave him yeah. ever since Daryl Mitchell started <laughs> scoring runs. Oh, look, I've, I've 
I've never, I've never said a bad word about John apart from the rotation. I just don't understand that. Like yeah. I actually met the guy when Waikato won the Shield and it was behind a bar in Hamilton, and uh, he asked me if I wanted to hold it, and I says, "Mate, no, no, I'd love to, but I wasn't good enough to play to play against it." So, no, no. I'd Sorry, what were you doing behind the bar? Behind, like well, behind, well, like outside behind the bar in the alleyway, or actually you got behind no, the bar no, and you were you were pouring no, them the pints. No, I would have if they asked me to. And I was just leaning there, and he came up and had a yarn. Got you. Sort of like staring at the thing. And, yeah, and he's just a genuine nice guy. But I, I, there's a problem in New Zealand sport, if you ask me, and they both have the same um, first name. And I don't know, I couldn't understand the 2020, the last one, when Conway, for me, was talked about. And you know, love your cricket. I love watching it. I don't really know that much. But for me, he's an opener. And I think we've got the balance right this time. But I don't, I don't see mm. Kane Williamson unless... I wouldn't... Honestly, if we're five down for 30 and we need to bat out the overs, I'd play them then. But otherwise, you wouldn't even get a bat. He's too slow. Dot balls are no good. Brilliant test cricketer. Absolutely fabulous. Just leave him there. But you can't have 20 dot balls in any format of limited over game now because the team you're playing against won't have those dot balls. And you'll lose by 20 dot balls. By 20 runs. Do you know what I mean? Good on you, Dan. We'll, okay. we'll get, get Grant. You, you hang up and have a listen to Grant's response to that because I, I think it's a fair enough point. When, when you Thanks, look at Steve. Kane Williamson, averages over 30 in T20 internationals. That's a decent number, but it's a strike rate that probably is 123, I think it is, over career. And over the last couple of years, it might even be a little bit below that. So th- that that's not a world-class strike rate. So it puts a little bit more pressure on the others in that top, top order, doesn't it? I, I think if I was coach... Um, of a T20 team, any team, I like to have a right-hand, left-hand combination. Um, so that's the first thing. The other thing is I like to have a hitter and a 360 player, a touch player. Which they've got now. So Conway's a 360 player, Kane's a 360 player, and Mur- Mitchell, you could argue, is potentially that as well. So if an Allen gets out, you don't send in Kane Williamson. You don't have two touch yes. players batting together. You send in Phillips. Yes, because I've worked out they've had 10 partnerships together, Williamson and Conway. They've scored 240 runs at an average of 30. It's healthy, but a strike rate of 6.85 runs and over, which isn't, that's, you're only looking at a score of 136. 30, yeah. 32, sorry. Um, now, he does his research. So Alan, Alan goes out, Glenn Phillips comes in because it's like for like. Then you've got a hitter, touch player. Conway goes out, Williamson comes in. So you always have, because they're very good at rotating the strike and giving the strike to that hitter. And you keep doing that as the, the game evolves. So the batting order should be quite fluid and should be, which we spoke about off-air, matchups in baseball, matchups in cricket. They sent oh, in Cha- Chapman the other day. Still not over it. Chapman took the game away from Pakistan. Mm. He got 23 or 8 balls or something. It was because the left-arm spinner was bowling. It was perfect. Perfect for him. Yeah. Uh, so get your nominations through. Of the three World Cups that we're going to witness, and we're currently witnessing with the Women's uh, Rugby World Cup uh, already uh, underway on our shores, a Rugby League World Cup, New Zealand up against Lebanon first game. Very strong lineup. They've uh, announced the T20 World Cup. Of course, New Zealand were in the final of the last World Cup just, what, a year ago. Uh, who has the, the best chance to win from a New Zealand perspective? Let us know. Morning, gents. Uh, writes uh, Brendan, the Black Caps will win. And... In capitals, too. The wins in capitals. Is that Baz? Uh, <laughs> the, the T20 World Cup. Uh, and I do love it when people change our question to cram in the answer mm. um, 
Well, cram in an answer that uh, revolves around their team. So bra- bravo, Mike. I bow down to you. He says it's East Coast to win the Lacour Cup. Fantastic stuff. I think I'm. I think I've convinced myself it is the uh, Kiwis, the rugby league side. You're going the Black Ferns. Voice of reason, Ben Francis. Do you have a nomination? I. I know you don't care about rugby league once your team's knocked out in week four <laughs> of the NRL. Week four. That's a bit. That's a bit too early. Uh, I, a bit of a yeah. There's uh, always next week, isn't there? Exactly. I, and I, I do Mathematical think, chance. I do think the Kiwis have have uh, a big decent chance. You know, I would be great yeah. to see the Black Caps, but I guess my reservation is that that it's in Australia. Yeah, and there are. I, I just think the field's a bit deeper too, as far as teams that can can win a get into a semi, can win a semi, can win a final. I think it's a little bit deeper. I, I think last week we made it pretty clear in our minds. There's three sides: uh, England, raging hot favourites for the for the Women's World Cup, uh, New Zealand and France. Probably the rest of the field might struggle. Mm. I, I actually see a smaller field: Australia, New Zealand. Is anyone who can win beyond that? Maybe there's going to be egg on my face. But get your thoughts coming through um, on 0800-150-811. That's the phone uh, number, or you could text us on double eight double three grant will break more uh will break that tri-series down a little bit more with the new zealand um sort of perspective as the show rolls on we'll take a short break at 16 after 10 o'clock this is the saturday session uh editor at large all the sporting news you need to know about not too far away and uh joining in uh, joining us in about 10 15 minutes time scotty stevenson to talk about the aforementioned uh women's rugby world cup stay with us Oh, the tension is unbearable between Elliot and producer Francis. There might be an on-air break up here. I just shook my head. Well, I'm part Scottish, mate, and I'm deeply, deeply offended. In fact, I'm 43% Scottish, according to our DNA. So, you're not even half Scottish. <laughs> not even half Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Wright, Grant is right again. The Black Ferns have the best chance as the so league side will lose in the semi to Oz. The Black Caps are not the best form and batting will fail when it counts against Oz and England. Regards, Steve. I said read that first part again. Grant, Grant is, is right. right again. No, I don't. Where's the again? Bit? Again. Grant is I, right again. Grant is right again. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Great to hear from you. Um, Grant is right from time to time. More than actually Daniel McCarty is willing to admit. I bow down to your knowledge, Grant. There you, you go. That, that, that is the first time I've probably given you a compliment. Th- thank you very much, Daniel. What I will say about Steve, um, and uh, alluding to the T20 World Cup, is I actually think he's right about um, you know failing when it counts, but I don't think it's Australia and England. I think it's Australia and Pakistan. I think England, we actually we've got a good record against them. Obviously, take away the 2019 World Cup. India at ICC events. We're great against India. But that Pakistan bowling lineup's good. Yeah, so we spoke about it after the game, and they they said, oh, is this a mental hurdle now for the Black Caps? And I was like, well, no, because we're not playing our best team. There's no Satna, there's no Ferguson Milne, there was no Mitchell. Mm. Um, but they've still got Shane uh, Freedy. It's more like Pakistan have become our bogey team. We've lost to them nine times out of the last 12. Games. And I've, I've just T20. immediately gone back to 1992 in my own mind. Oh no, the no. semi-final. Oh, that's, that's one of the worst sporting events I've ever... Inzimam. Oh, don't. <laughs> don't inzy me. Don't. Why did you bring up bogey team Pakistan? I'm getting teary, the thought of it. And um, Some rights here, strike rate is more important than average? Uh, it depends where you bet. I think... I think the strike rate is extremely important. You don't want to be six off two and in the in the hatch if you're if you're opening. No, but Finn Allen the other day he got thirty of sixteen balls. Brilliant. I go. Do you know what? That's like a fifty 
in one day cricket, you go, brilliant, got the team off to a good start. Next batter comes in, platform's been set. So um, in certain positions, strike rate is extremely important. But in T20, obviously, um, I think you can have one player, one touch player in the team that gets in, mm. but you still need to get 50 or you know, 30, 40 balls max. Yeah, our question of the day of the uh, three New Zealand sides, the Black Ferns, uh, the Kiwis, and, of course, uh, the Black Caps. So we're talking uh, Women's Rugby World Cup, Men's Rugby League World Cup, and uh, the T20 Men's uh, World Cup. Which side has the best chance of lifting the trophy? Speaking of trophies, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a fish and pikel uh, front loader um, in the Bangla Wash series last night. Oh, the bang- Missed opportunity. <laughs> so do you know what was funny? What was, was the trophy? It said Bangla Wash on the, the screen at the start of the series. And we're like, someone messaged and said, you've spelled Bangladesh wrong. <laughs> it was like, no, <laughs> it's... Bangla Wash, I think it was a... Um, company, it's a it, company. Yeah, it, it was a... Uh, detergent. Clothes-washing clothes detergent. But no, it was a bright gold with a huge ball on the top. Missed opportunity. And the best thing about it was when they won at Pakistan, the 13th or 14th man, Shanawaz Dahani, just like grabbed the trophy. He was in the front holding it. He just never <laughs> let it go. But I, I think they missed a golden opportunity. If you, if you had your Fisher and Pikel front loader, you could have opened the door and actually pulled out Man of the Series out of it. And could have got another sponsorship <laughs> yeah, activation. Yeah, exactly. I think gold, missed opportunity there. New Zealand cricket, Bangla Wash. Um, in limited, partnership with Fisher and Pikel. Yeah. <laughs> Th- think. Think next time. Think. Um, and you're welcome. Uh, some, free, some free marketing there. Uh, 25 after 10 o'clock. Uh, let's get to the sporting news you need to know about as you start your sporting Saturday. Good luck to the weekend, Warriors. We love you. You do know that. Uh, we'll unpack the big stories of the day. Let's talk about Wellington. Look behind you, Auckland. There's a lion. <laughs> Wellington. I don't know if you've heard, Grant, are through to the uh, final of the uh, National uh, Provincial Rugby Championship. So good. So Being good. a Wellington supporter yeah. as well. Uh, claiming a record win over Auckland. A record win, was it? Young centre, Riley Higgins, he looks a talent, scored uh, two to help the Lions claim 54-19 win. That's 54 points to 19. 54. 5-4-19. 54. That's more than 50. 54-19. It's a lot of points, Grant. Um, And set up a clash uh, against either Canterbury or Bay of Plenty. Uh, Since their last title back in 2000, when we even in New Zealand... (laughs) No, it wasn't. No, I wasn't. It's, it's how long ago it was. Uh, Wellington have lost eight consecutive top division finals, including four straight finals between 2006 and 2009. That's tough. That is tough. You wonder why I went grey. Covering <laughs> Wellington's fought all those years. Uh, for those defeats, four of those defeats were by Canterbury. Just to make matters worse, the opponents they beat in the 2000 showpiece. I'm so conflicted. If Canterbury get through next Saturday, I'm not sure we need to talk about it. We'll, we'll even talk about it because I'll be hiding behind it. Is there any... I'll be hiding behind the ACNZ <laughs> screens next week. Is I'll there... be a little bit stressed. Is there any doubt that they'll get through, though? Uh, it's Canterbury. Come on, Bay of Plenty. You've got it in you. You've knocked over some big names in the past. Do it once more. All of New Zealand, Bar Canterbury, is rooting for you. I wonder what the odds of that are. Yeah. Well, that might be in the uh, sporting tips you need to run a mile from later on the show. Cricket and the Black Caps have fallen to defeat in the final T20 uh, match of the Tri-Series, uh, with Pakistan taking the contest by five wickets at Hagley Oval in Christchurch. Pakistan took no notice of any sentiment in the Black Caps uh, camp, spoiling Tim um, Southey's 100th T20 international. That's a hell of an achievement. She's been a great servant and stayed fit too, which is not easy for a fast bowler. Impressive stuff. Um, and a game that also saw him draw level as the format's leading all-time wicket-taker. 
among a few positives, um, Kane Williamson, uh, his first uh, half century in the format since last year's T20 a World Cup final loss to Australia, making 59 off 38. Looked good. He looked good. He, he looked, looked good. Form. He's he been kind of knocking touch. on the door, hasn't he? There's been lots of starts. Not fluent, but there's been lots of starts over the you know, yeah. last seven or eight innings. Lots of 20s, lots of 30s. Do you know, we mentioned but it. But he looked far more fluid, didn't When we watched him in that Chapel Hadley series, we mentioned it. We said, like, what's wrong with Kane? He just doesn't look like he's into it. But yesterday with his innings, he looked on from ball one. He went bang through point four. Next ball on the stumps, clipped it through mid-wicket. But it, just his body language looked like he was present, looked like he was he was motivated. Did it look like he was enjoying his cricket? Yes. That is yeah. something I've um, I've questioned. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Well, that's nice. It was a change. Uh, there is reported friction amongst the Australian Diamonds camp ahead of the second Constellation Cup against Silver Ferns and Tauranga. Gee, one win. One, one loss and they're already eating each other. It's like us in the commentary box. <laughs> Um, players had raised issues about taking the netball court against New Zealand wearing a uniform featuring new sponsor, Hancock Prospectin, a mining and agricultural business owned by the richest woman in Australia, according to Fox Sports. Players have concerns about the sponsorship, particularly with Indigenous player um, Danelle Wellam, um, now a member of the squad with a deal worth $15 million over four years. The Silver Ferns uh, won the first test in Australia, uh, in Auckland rather, 56-48. That is quite an interesting one. And, uh, you know, they're personal personal issues, aren't they? But on the court, they had a few issues too. They were down by 11 goals after the first quarter. Mm. I think they've got a bit to worry about on the court too, right? not just off it. Why are they, why are they so uh, temperamental with their results? Remember... Uh going into the World Cup where suddenly they had no chance and they ended up winning it. It came Australia. from nowhere. They tend to do, Australia. Yeah. Go look at their history, mate. Uh, and that, there you have it, Editor at Large, brought to you by, insert sponsor's name, called Ben Francis on 0800 150811. He'd like to <laughs> Boom, boom. Almost half past ten. We will take a short break. Keep your messages coming through on 8833. Um, Brad writes, Albion Turkeys versus Kings High School First 11, battling for the McCullum Family Cup today. Nice. Very nice. I do like that. And Chris writes, is there a T20 World Cup every year? Well, there was one last year. <laughs> yeah, that was because of COVID, not... so it was meant to be two years yeah. prior to that. Yeah, so there'll be one in two years. It's every two years, every two the years. T20 World Cup. But Chris. COVID impacted um, the previous tournament. Yeah, so just enjoy it, Chris. Yeah. Enjoy it. Remember, you are watching Rugby World Cup 2021 which we will talk about after this break with Scotty Stevenson, sumo out of Spark Sport. Well, that's where we'll get our tips. I mean, we're talking about Black Ferns, France, England. I mean, he's watched every minute of that. So if there's ever a tip that you want to hang on to, Scotty Stevenson, well, he knows his stuff, especially in women's sport. Bang on half past ten, he'll join us after this. Is this okay, Grant? It's a good Is one. to your liking? It's a good one. Everyone's got shade at our producer. Everyone's got music taste. I don't know why you would no. take exception if you go, well, I don't really, the song doesn't really get me going. This what, one does. What we do on a Saturday, us three, we take exception. <laughs> Almost everything. So sensitive. We everyone. are, aren't we? So thin-skinned. Well, he, he started it today. He sent me oh, a... Oh, listen a, to you, knocking sh- on him. He sent me a Sean Fitzpatrick shirt, a photo, 
And he said, um, he said, oh, well, this is now my favorite piece of memorabilia. It was clearly a fake signature. <laughs> it was a, it was a fake, horrendous, yeah, horrendous fake. It's 25 away from 11 o'clock. Let's uh, welcome in a man who's rather busy, B- busier than Grant Elliott's phone, almost. That phone never gets put down, does it, Grant? Which one? The You're, burner? Yeah, the burner phone, especially. Uh, out of Spark Sports, yeah, there's a whole heap of high-quality sport on Spark at the moment. Scotty Stevenson leads a lot of the coverage. Uh, today, we've got a particular eye on uh, the Women's uh, Rugby World Cup. Sumo, great to have you on board. How do we find you? Morning, Scotty. Oh. Morning, Grant. Yeah, Grant never puts down his phone, Snarky. There's no doubt about that. He's uh, He is just all sums, that man. And uh, I've never seen such fast-moving thumbs. But uh, gee, it feels like only yesterday I was with you, Grant Elliott. And today I'm on the holiday highway north of the province of my birth, the greatest part of the country. Titai Pukarau, Whangarei. Well, we were together yesterday, actually, Scotty. We were. We... Yeah, there, there was a joke. Oh, it was Grant. A... It was a yeah, joke. But he's a funny man, Scotty. Yeah. He... Scotty, uh, I was telling um, Daniel McCarty about our uh, our time together sampling the cuisine in Christchurch and the sort of deals that are going around there. <laughs> are you referring to the four biryani Mumbai Walla um, <laughs> undercut? It was, uh, <laughs> it was quite the experience. Del- a delicious chow, but uh, boy, paying that bill was problematic. Investigations were launched. <laughs> you, were, you were straight back in there for an inquiry. There was a steward's inquiry. And uh, I love the fact the bloke just admitted defeat and went, yeah, I've probably uh, chucked a few more brownies on there than I needed to, so here's a undie. It was great. Some some high-quality Enron and counting going on. Magnificent. You know, times are tough in the the restaurant game. When Elliot wanders in, you're like, I'm going to get into that wallet. Oh, what? Well, Grant was supposed to book it under Brendan McCallum, and then we wouldn't have had any problems. (laughs) <laughs> but unfortunately, tell them the story, Scotty, because you're going to say, tell them anyway. Tell them what happened. You walked well, in before I got there. Well, I, well, you said to me, I'm going to book the table under Baz McCallum because we'll be guaranteed a spot then, uh, which is true. But instead, you booked it under Grant Elliott. I walked in, I saw a table under Elliott, and the guy behind the counter said, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, Grant. Yeah, I should have booked it under Brendan. Absolutely <laughs> poor. All right, should we get to the job at hand? You you are fizz for yeah. this. It is in your neck of the wo- uh, the woods. That's got to be special. Uh, last week, a triple hitter. We, we, we got what we outlined, and we, we're by no means experts in this field, Scotty. By far, in a way, the, the three best sides on day number one in England, France, and New Zealand, of course. We, now you've had a few days to digest... You know, what stood out on that first day? Was it an individual, a team performance? You know, memories of just seven, eight days ago, what's the most important? Well, I, I mean, I, I think from a New Zealand perspective, coming up against the Welsh tomorrow, Dan, uh, Daniel, the, the, the fact is that um, and the Welsh had to work very, very hard to overcome Scotland, and their discipline was abysmal. Uh, they conceded 16 penalties in that game. Um, ironically, they won the game uh, on earning their fifth in the 85th minute of the match. They had to go 26 phases to get in a position to win that penalty and then obviously win the game. So, look, they'll be feeling it. They'll be feeling a bit battered and bruised. That was a ruthless encounter between Scotland and Wales last week. I know the coach has come out. He's quite bullish about the Welsh chances tomorrow. Um, I can't see it happening. If they show that kind mm. of discipline at Waitakere tomorrow afternoon against the Ferns, 
they are going to get pumped like a bouncy castle. There's no doubt about that for me. Um, so, I mean, that, that's an interesting equation for today. Uh, the English were, were spectacular in that second half against Fiji, but I like the way that Fiji took the chaos to them in the first half. The problem with playing chaos against a well-structured team is you've got to be committed to that and fit enough to do it for 80 minutes. And, yeah. Uh, we've seen teams, you know, in our time calling rugby games, Daniel, that can play the chaos brand. Uh, but if they're not conditioned to do that, they're going to come unstuck in the end. So no, I think that's a positive for New Zealand if they're eyeing up England at some stage in this tournament and guaranteed at some stage they're going to have to play them if they get that far. Um, they'll, they'll be buoyed by that. I thought the French were very clinical. Um, and I really love uh, their halfback, Law Sanssouz. She was player of the of the uh, Six Nations. She's a remarkable halfback. They run a lot of play off her. And the midfield battle tonight, 8 p.m., by far and away the game of the round, France taking on England and Whangarei tonight, that is going to be an absolute ripper. And the result, I think, will go a long way to... ...wide open or whether England already have one hand on the trophy. Scotty, I want to ask you about the opening game, obviously, against Australia. It has been spoken about quite a bit. Do you think that um, the Black Ferns are over that sort of psychological, um, I'd say, excitement of being at home and anxiety and fear of failure, all, all those emotions that you'll experience playing in a home World Cup and the pressure and expectation, do you th- think they're over that and it has been a good thing to experience against Australia in the initial uh, hurdle? Yeah, I mean, they were shocked, weren't they? Uh, a lot of emotion in that stadium. I mean, for all of those women who don't just carry themselves into the game, but they carry the, the pedigree and the legacy of the Black Ferns into this tournament, there are a lot of firsts that they all were encountering. It was a big crowd. It was a wonderful occasion. Um, and then I, I just think they were just overexcited, really. Um, it took them a while to settle into the game. And, and I think you have to face... They would have rolled over the top of Australia eventually. But when points differential is going to be a massive factor, I think, in sorting out how the playoffs are structured, uh, they yes. needed to get a hurry on, and they were certainly helped by some poor discipline from Australia. And those two um, yellow cards handed out at the same time. I, I thought Perry was lucky not to be red-carded, frankly. Uh, but, you know, look, 15 on 13 and a Black Ferns team that had settled the nerves, good to go. And, and I think they'll be so much better for that occasion playing at that stadium and, and just getting it out of the system. Now they've had a chance to do that. Now they've got that elephant um, out of the way. Uh, they can get to Waitakere in front of, you know, what's a more moderate 4,500. It's still a sellout, but 4,500 is different to 35. Uh, and they can actually settle into their game from the get-go. They've made a lot of changes too, so uh, interesting to see how, uh, how this new-look team goes. Yeah, I'm interested in that, and, and probably more so not just for the game, against Wales, but how this tournament plays out. You, of course, want some consistency and selection, but you also don't want to ignore the, the form uh, player, uh, even if they're uh, you know, may, maybe of a less experienced ilk. So are there particular areas in the field that are more interesting to you as far as selections for, for the bigger games um, as the tournament progresses, Scotty? Yeah, I think midfield's going to give uh, the selectors a bit of a headache through this tournament. I, I assume you're referring to the New Zealand side, Daniel? Yes, I was, yes, yeah. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm, I'm really excited to see Sylvia Brunt back in action. She made her debut uh, for the Black Ferns earlier this year in the Pack 4, and it was at Waitakere Stadium, and she's just going to be an out-and-out superstar of the game. 
such a powerful ball runner. Having the experience of Fitzpatrick inside a 12 for this game is going to be great. And then outside of Renee Wycliffe and Portia Woodman. So she's got she's got good targets left and right. And she's also got some uh, some helping hands on the inside. I, I think when you look at Amy Duplessis, you've also got Stacey Flula, Therese Fitzpatrick and Sylvia Brunt all vying for those starting 12 and 13 jobs. Uh, it's exciting for the selectors. Uh, but they're going to want to see something quite special from Brunt today, I think, and from Fitzpatrick for that matter. Ruby Tui moving back to fullback is a really interesting call, but I think that's the case of just wanting to have your best players on the park. And, um, you know, I'm sure she'll acquit herself very well at fullback in a very different role. Unfortunately for Renee Holmes in that opening game, she just made a couple of defensive lapses that wouldn't have gone unnoticed by this coaching group who are hard taskmasters. You need someone no. in there who's going to make those covering tackles. And um, we'll, so we'll see how she goes. But, you know, I think the locks will take care of themselves. The two favourites there will be Chelsea Bremner um, and, and I think Joan Ngan Wu, who, who has a chance to be the player of the tournament in my mind. She's just an out-and-out weapon, Joan Ngan Wu. And, and I think the front row is going to be a bit of a mix. I, I think last week's front row was probably our best. Um, but, you know, good to see big T-Bone Kaluna Bali out there today and uh, tomorrow and see how she goes because she can make a massive impact. I don't know as much of a starter as off the bench, but we're about to find out. Scotty Wall, what have the crowds been like and how important is this Rugby World Cup for the future of the, uh, the sport for, for young girls growing up and the aspirations? I know you're a huge advocate for women's sport, but um, I have seen a few clips and it looks like uh, there is a lot of support and um, it's not just you know, girls in the stadium supporting, but you know, my, my kids at home, my two young boys, they're also supporting it. There's a lot of kids getting behind it, and it's the first time it's really has been showcased in New Zealand. Yeah, I don't think it's just important for young girls watching. I think it's important for young boys who want to get involved in the game as well. I mean, uh, there is a big difference that you notice on the weekend at Eden Park between uh, the opening match of of this Rugby World Cup or the opening three matches, should I say, um, and perhaps going to an all-black test where you've got a slightly different crowd, um, Mm. a crowd that's probably a bit dour, um, I always find games an all-black game that the crowd can feel kind of threatening from time to time, actually. It just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't feel like Hostile. people are there to enjoy it. It really doesn't feel like people are there to enjoy themselves. It feels like mm. they're just there on the expectation that the all-blacks will win and they'll get something to, to whinge about after if they don't. Um, so there was a really festive atmosphere both in Auckland and in Whangarei, uh, which was great to be around. Um, and yeah, I am a huge advocate for sport, and, and I, would, I would take it out of you know what this is going to do for future generations playing. I hope that some of the corporates that make a big song and dance about how much they want to support women's sport actually start walking the walk instead of just talking the talk. Because you know, I hear this all the time from these big companies who say they're right and they're in it and they're right in behind and they do all this. And, you know, first time you tap them for a bit of sponsorship money, they, uh, they run away at 100 miles an hour. So, you know, I hope that the corporates will look at these kinds of occasions, these kinds of athletes and say, do you know what? There's some value in this, uh, and there is value to be made, and I don't want it to be just uh, an add-on to my sponsorship of a bloke's team. Uh, I want to target my marketing and sponsorship money into this side of the game. That would be a massive result for me. Yeah, fine words, Sumo. Great to hear your voice, mate. We'll let you get back, because I, I know there'll be some form of street parade when you get back into Titai Tokarau. They'll be throwing palms at your feet <laughs> or w- whatever you do when you return, my friend. You take it easy, mate. Keep up the great work. Look forward to chatting down the line. Let that Briani settle, Scotty. Yeah. Okay. That Briani's still working its way through, I can tell you right now. Great to chat, boys. <laughs>
<laughs> Scotty Sumo Stevenson with Spark Sport uh, with the cricket yesterday, but of course uh, he'll be leading uh, the coverage uh, of the uh, Women's uh, World Cup. Is um, make sure you, you keep an eye across uh, that. We'll take a short break. It's 12 minutes away from 11. Stay with us. The uh, Women's Rugby World Cup. Uh, Grant on Spark Sport. Uh, Scotty Stevenson, thanks again for joining us. Uh, first game today is uh, Scotland up against Australia. Come on, Scotland. Three o'clock. Uh, the USA play Japan at 5.30. And then England up against France. That is a doozy. Although you would think England will have too uh, many weapons for France. France lost to England in the, uh, the Women's Six Nations back in April, I think 24 points to 12. Um, it was the last game of the Six Nations. Basically, they knew it was going to be a final, so they wanted to schedule it last. England were imperious. How's this, Grant? In their five Six Nation matches, England conceded four tries and scored 45, which was only 10 less than the other five teams combined. Wowzers. <laughs> that is amazing. What, what time is that one? That one is 8 o'clock. Oh, okay, that's good. That's the one you really want to watch, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, you want to watch them all, but that will be highly contested. And that'll that'll probably settle, I guess, the thoughts of who might win this competition. Because if England absolutely destroy France, well, then it's between England and the Black Ferns, isn't it? Yeah. I, France have won their last two games against New Zealand, though. So that's the only caveat to it. But I understand what you're saying, and and I'm sure a lot of people agree with you on that one. So that, that is all still to come. What else is coming up on the show? Well, plenty. We hope more from you on double eight double three. Get your messages coming through. Uh, our question was, with these World Cups, the Women's World Cup, the Rugby League World Cup about to kick off, and uh, the Men's T20 Cricket World Cup, uh, which of the three New Zealand sides do you have most faith in lifting the title? Dave writes, morning men, Kiwis have got this. Give them a taste of Kiwis. Like that, uh, Dave, thank you very much. He also adds in Smoking Romans, a Kiwi bred horse wins Caulfield Cup. And shout out to Nick Williams, recovering in Welsh Hospital after a heart attack. We do wish you well, Nick, and a speedy recovery, a full recovery. Um, hopefully this does get through to you, Nick. Keep safe, keep well, good luck. Uh, so we want your uh, contribution on that. Uh, you can uh, make a reference to what uh, has been uh, going on during the uh, sporting week. As always, um, next hour... Our Saturday session legend will join us, uh, the one, the only Mr. Chris Martin. Uh, David Choate will join us after 12 o'clock. Uh, the multi-talented um, Mr. Choate will look at a variety of issues. Front and centre in our thinking will be Danny Hay and uh, his departure from New Zealand football as uh, head coach of the All Whites. It's so deflating, isn't it, New Zealand football? You get really deflated I about do. it. I do. You love your football. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll go through why I'm deflated. I'm just, I just feel like this is deja vu all over again. Yeah, that's a Yogi Bearerism. Um, you know, no, no joined up thinking between the high performance and the all whites. You know what? That's what one of the things that came out of the review. That also came out of the review of the last two World Cups. Mm. Like, so the, the change is going to be made by who? And the change going to be made? I don't know. David Choate might be able to cheer me up. He also look at uh, the Wellington Phoenix in at the A League. Uh, as they tag on the Central Coast Mariners uh, tomorrow. But Chris Martin is our very special guest next hour. Can't wait for this. Over 200 test wickets for New Zealand. Great, great servant of New Zealand cricket. 500 first-class wickets and 100 runs to his name. And he got those in the same You're game. You're so mean. He got them in the same game. 500th wicket and the 100th run. Brilliant. Let's see if he remembers it. And what was more important to him? The, the wicked, <laughs> yeah. surely, surely the wicked. I know, I know. Four minutes away from 11. 11am, 
SENZ, the Saturday session. He's Grant Elliott. I'm Daniel McCarty. Jack Black, dulcet tones off. Mm. Another great song from Ben Francis, producer extraordinaire. Yeah, this 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 faking your happiness with Ben needs to stop. Stop no, sucking I, up, Just Grant. be authentic. Stop sucking up. Just be authentic, <laughs> mate. Just be authentic. Our number is 0800-150-811-8833. Tell Grant Elliott now on 0800-150-811 who should start their first game for the Black Caps at the T20 World Cup. I would love to hear your thoughts. Put it to one of Spark Sports commentators, and he'll be alongside me, Daniel McCarty, in uh, SCNZ's coverage of the uh, the Men's T20 World Cup, which uh, all starts from a New Zealand perspective next Saturday against Australia. It is a repeat of the last final. Uh, so we'll, we'll preview the tournament in more detail uh, maybe next Saturday. But let, let, let's have a particular eye on New Zealand because they're, what, their last meaningful game? There's a couple of warm-up games, Grant, uh, midweek ahead of it. They're playing against India, South Africa. I don't know in what order, but they, they actually flew over there today. So they finished the tri-series yesterday, flew over today. They're going to start on Monday. Monday, Wednesday, two warm-up games. They then fly um, to the first game to start on Saturday. So quick quick turnaround for them. And if you don't want to tell me about your, um, your lineup or your best preferred 11. You may want to reflect on last night's game, well, today's game. Or you might even want to reflect on the number of streakers that we had in Christchurch um, because we were saying... How many? Oh, there was five in a day. Um, and what was... What I'm was, going to sound like a very old man here. I'm so over streakers. Well, what was fantastic to see was that um, they brought in some real heavyweights for the last game for the final. There was a guy who was about seven foot, had his rugby boots on, I reckon they got them from the Linwood Rugby League Club or something, ready to go. Should we give the, the security guards mini paddles like Dazed and Confused in that movie? When they, <laughs> Tasers. When they, when they chase the freshmen's around on the last day of school? We were saying, though, you should get, like, if you fully nude, well, then it's maximum fine. But if you're clothed, then is that lesser of a fine really? or is it the same fine? It's not, it's not that funny, is it? No, I don't think it is. No. Ben, am I being too old here? Do, do you enjoy a streaker? No, I, I, I enjoy hate, streaker. I hate it. I, I, yeah. I'm one of these ones where I think security guards should have full reign, absolutely yeah. smash I, the living daylight out of them. If you're a streaker, I'm poo-pooing you. I'm poo-pooing you. So that, that's what I enjoy about the streaking. So I was firing up the seven-foot giant who was just outside the commentary box. I said, you must be so excited today. I said, there's going to be some big hits. I said, you know what was missing in the start of this tournament is that no one was prepared to put in some big hits. And I said, you look like the man today. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Start the game with intensity. It's the first up tackle. The first tackle of the game is the most important. The security guard, you know, security guards were poor. And, it's, and they're to blame. Yeah, they're to blame, Grant. But one the of the absolute <laughs> idiots who think they're funny. Before we get into the T20, though, one of my favorite times as a commentator is if you get there early enough, um, they actually have streaker practice. So they'll have the, the, the manager. Streaker practice. <laughs> the manager where they've got the formation of all the guards on the boundary. And he goes, he gives them a good team talk. Well, they it's do. Like, they right, go- we weren't good enough the other day. Ramon, you were terrible. You're at long on. You know it's an important position. You were out of position. Today we're going to get it right. And then they go an into formation. Position. It's a 360-degree ground. You can enter it from anywhere. Well, there's hot spots. What? We all know that. If, if people have done deep you know, data analysis of where streakers are most likely to come from, <laughs> so you, probably the most boozed-up section of the crowd is probably yeah. the first one. And, and where there's an exit gate, right? Or uh, entry-exit. Okay. 
So then basically all the guards assume their position and then the manager walks around like he's pretending to be some what, just what a they, random person. Does he like lather himself in Vaseline like that you know greased up deaf guy or family guy and he what, should. guards around and he should. But then all of a sudden he just jumps over the and they don't know when he's going to jump over. He jumps over, starts running, and then that's when they have to get into formation. And we watch this. It's brilliant. Can we do a reality TV show? I'll capture it on video. We'll put it on SCNZ. Yeah, like like the contender in UFC, right? Security guard streaker training. Yeah. If if Boy Island got the got the green tick, this surely should. <laughs> if this got the if that got the green light, this should definitely get the green light. I'd I'd watch that over that. Absolute. Abomination of a program using us. Brilliant. Well, let's get let's give the green lights on this team. Okay. We've put we've put. Can we talk together... about the game briefly. Is it too simple to say the fifteenth over of the Pakistan run chase was the game? Twenty-five uh, runs off it. Yeah, I, I'd say that that was the biggest turning it's a, point. It's a moderate score, isn't it? New Zealand one hundred and sixty-three for seven. I, I think we lost the game in the last five. We've been clinical in the last five. We lost. They, they 30, bowled well in the day. Thirty-three for four. They bowled oh, extremely well. well Harris Ralph, he's getting it up to one hundred and fifty clicks and reverse swinging it a little bit. Um, he was exceptional. So Pakistan weren't actually given enough credit um, bowling in those last five overs, which is where. New Zealand have been outstanding. They set a great platform. Uh, I was commentating at the halfway mark, and they should have easily got 183, um, was the projected total. That's what we thought, and unfortunately, if they'd got 183, they probably would have won. They sort of limped to 168 for five. Um, and then we started well. We set a, re- a really good, uh, or sorry, we bowled well to Pakistan, um, getting Baba Azam early. Uh, Rizwan. Once he was dismissed, the run rate went up to about 10.8. And then suddenly there it was... It was 10 overs to go, wasn't it? Yeah. And then there was the, the East Saudi over on the 15th over. But I thought that Kane Williamson probably should have bowled Nisham because he was bowling into the wind, East Saudi. That was tough. And his The batsman pre- had the luxury of hitting downwards. Yeah, and he bowled his previous over from the other end, but then Bolt followed him. And Bolt bowled a magnificent over, but then... The next over was followed by East Saudi, and that was the, the over we think, oh, potentially Nisham bowling in short. Maybe he had a niggle, who knows. Um, but, yeah, that, that sort of sealed the game. And I think the important thing to note, and I mentioned it earlier on, is that we didn't have Mitchell, uh, Daryl Mitchell batting. We didn't have uh, Mitchell Satner, uh, who's the glue with the ball and very miserly through the middle. Um, and we didn't have one of Ferguson or Milne, so we didn't have that strike sort of power. We played Tickner, who would definitely be uh, not a first-line player. Um, he's a good player, but um, not first-line for a final. Would have played you know, the pace of Milne or Ferguson. Right. Um, uh, two players who had a good tournament, um, the openers. Devin Conway looks like he's back to form. You know, Average 77, striker of 123. Uh, Finn Allen uh, scored at a blistering 145. Uh, runs per 100 balls. Um, so that opening pair um, is certainly cemented. But Finn Allen and one Michael Bracewell took eight wickets, including brilliant spell yesterday. It was, it was outrageous. And 17 overs in this tournament, his economy rate was under five. That's good for one-day cricket. Yeah, 4.97. In- incredible. It? And um, they got a special mention from the captain, both Michael Bracewell and Finn Allen. Both performed beautifully well, and they played really valuable roles within the team. Um, they comp- uh, they play complementary roles to Finn 
at the top is so super aggressive and hits the ball really, really hard and looks to take it on, which has been great. And it complements Dev really well. Michael, man of the series, incredible effort, especially to not win other series as a team. He showed his uh, contributions throughout these uh, five, six games. He was really disciplined uh, in his lengths and made life quite difficult on these sorts of pitches as well. He's one player who wasn't cracking my 11 seven days ago. No. Kind of hard to leave him out now, isn't it? It is. However, where are you going to bat him? If you're going to bat him at seven or at eight, is his bowling going to be more important? I think you would say yes at this stage. Um, I think he's a dynamic player. He's an excellent fielder as well. I think the big question that you have to ask, and maybe it sealed his fate, was each Sodi. Mm. Um, you know, he's a wicket taker. He's taken over 100 wickets in T20 cricket. Um, he's, I think, two behind Lasith Malinga, which is crazy when you think about it, yet he doesn't make our, our starting lineup. And I think, and I've always said this to you, Daniel, you need an explosive top order, so your opening pair, you need a leg spinner, and you need someone who bowls 150 k's an hour. Okay. So you, 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 despite um, yesterday, despite a um, down series by his um, standards, so he's still cracking your 11. I would like to consider him uh, at that. Position. Well, you are considering him. Would you put him in? I'm going to force. I'm going to force you here. You know, you were talking about matchups. You said, "Oh wow, Ish Sodi's done really well against Australia." I would consider who you're playing against, and I'd consider the matchups of Ish Sodi because you're going to be playing a big fields in. Australia, so there's you know a little bit more margin for error as a as a spinner or as a bowler because you really have to get it up the screws if you want to hit yeah. it for six. But but that matchup um, game that you're going to play is more to do with the bowling. So your top six of Alan Conway, Williamson, Phillips, Mitchell, Nisham, provided everyone's fit, yeah, they'll probably play and seven, eight, nine with what Bolton, Milne, or Ferguson. Yep, so that, that's settled. And then you've got Satner, who you'd say, well, definitely, given um, you know his record. And then you've got that uh, Bracewell spot. Bracewell may be bracketed with Sodi, depending on who they're playing against. Because I like a, a leg spinner. You see, the stats but, show but you're you. projecting me here, a, a team with no Bracewell. With Satner at seven, Sodi at eight, Milne, Ferguson, Southie, Bolt. Potentially, yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Because I like I like the fact that you can take wickets through the middle, and Bracewell has been taking wickets. Satner doesn't really; he's quite miserly. Mm. But that means that you've got pace. So you've got the one fifty k an hour who bowls one in the the first six overs, then he bowls two through the middle and one at the death. The two through the middle are crucial. If you can get wickets, then you're going to stop the run flow, and also hopefully you know you might actually get a breakthrough. There might be someone in like a Warner who's on sixty, and suddenly you get the breakthrough. So. You can't actually just play um, a bowling unit that you think are just going to be miserly and keep the runs down. It's about getting wickets through that middle period. So that's the thoughts of uh, Grant Elliott. Let us uh, know uh, your thoughts as far as uh, how New Zealand are placed and the makeup of your side. We'll probably break this down uh, again uh, next week, but we'll probably take a more broader approach next week and looking at the tournament overall because, you know, we've compared the chances of our three New Zealand sides at these World Cups. I, I, the field's quite deep. It's it's quite a deep tournament. Um, no, no one can really predict a winner. No, and England just beat Aussie twice. Um, Pakistan are looking pretty well balanced without Shaheen Shah Afridi, and then you've got New Zealand and um, and India. 
Uh, we will take a break, though, at 12 minutes after 11 o'clock. Our uh, text line is double eight double three. Coming up uh, rather shortly, we're going to catch up with our Saturday session legend, Mr Chris Martin. Our Saturday session legend segment, something we utterly love, uh, in association with uh, Somerset. Think legendary care, think Somerset Retirement Villages. This is apt, this is apt music, Ben Francis, because I'm going to come out swinging. A big feature this hour is going to be our Saturday Session Legend with Chris uh, Martin. But before that, we need to get to our Midas Tires Workhorse of the Week, Grant Elliott. Well, my nominations anyway, yours are coming up later. Uh, in association with Midas Agritires, the choice of leading manufacturers, Midas Agritires, European quality, made affordable. Who has been doing the yards and sports? It's been impressing us. I'm going to start off with my non-nomination first, though. You know I like your non-nominations. The, the, the people that did not turn up and do the hard yards. My Toronto Blue Jays, who coughed up an 8-1 run lead, 8-1 oh. lead to the Mariners last Sunday in one of the biggest postseason choke jobs. Okay, I'm getting a little bit too heated there. Uh, coughing up one of the biggest leads in Major League Baseball playoff history. They were 8-1 ahead. They were 8-1 ahead. Ended up losing the game by 10 runs to 9. Were eliminated 2-0 in the best of three series as a result. It looked like it was going to a decider. It's uh, a non-nomination for a no-show. Is this worse than your yeah, ice hockey team? 164 games. I followed them all yet. The yeah. Maple Leafs. Is oh, it the Ma- Maple no, Leafs? the Maple Leafs will never win. I'm, I'm at peace with the Maple Leafs. With the Blue Jays. You had that a... hurt. That hurt bad. Inzy pain. Did you Inzy watch the pain. whole thing? No, luckily I was working. Oh. It's, um, but it was checking the scores, and um, it was 8-1, and then I flicked on again, it was 8-all, and I nearly swore on um, a certain um, pay television provider. Anyway, uh, my actual workhorse of the week has to be the Kiz. Shane Vank has been winning, winning another Bathurst. Brilliant job. I think he's now a double champion, if I'm not mistaken. I'm, I did say last week, I know nothing about the sport, but uh, I, I can admire his hard work. You know, doing all those uh, Ks around Mount Panorama, then clearly doing a few sh- shotties or, or bevies during the night. Cause did shotties? You say- yeah. <laughs> Shot class? Shoeys. Oh, is that what you call them? Anyway, um, did you see that television interview he did? I did. Yeah. I did see that. He was a bit ropey the next morning. <clears throat> but he fronted, but then had to go off screen and chunder. Um, so uh, he, he's my workhorse of the week. Uh, so well done to him. Grant's uh, nomination for his workhorse of the week will come a little bit later. If you've got a nomination, get yours through to double eight double three. We will take a break and be back after this. It's 19 minutes after 11. 24 minutes after 11 o'clock. This is SENZ. I'm Daniel McCarty. He is Grant Elliott. We're four minutes late getting to our guest. This is, And considering we both harassed him yesterday. We did. Yeah, we did. He got back to you, though. He didn't get back to me. Well, he knows I you're really important two on blue ticks. Yeah. <laughs> you can do the introduction. Though. Well, he sits sixth on the all-time most wickets list for New Zealand at 233 test wickets. He's bowled um, a over, lot of overs, over 14,000 deliveries. Ooh. That hurts just saying that. But he's still in great nick, and I hear that he will be playing uh, early on in 2023. We'll see him again on the screens. What? Running into bowl for team cricket in the Black Clash. But it is Chris Martin who has been unbelievable talent for New Zealand, and everyone can remember him with his sweatband on. Um, and it, his batting was spoken about a lot, but it was his bowling that was very impressive. Played for Canterbury, Auckland, Warwickshire, 
went back to Canterbury again, finished his career in Auckland, um, and probably, I feel, could have played a couple more years. I almost feel like he retired a little bit too early, but maybe those 14,000 balls got <laughs> at, to... At 38. Yeah. Known as Tommy, great nickname. Uh, Chris, welcome to the show. Good morning, guys. I'm actually five foot six now. Um, and, and, and I'm, I've just that fourteen thousand balls is probably just uh, knowing about it dropped another inch off as well. So um, good to be here. Good to be talking to you. Did you did you know that it was fourteen thousand deliveries that you had bowled? No, and it, it's not something I don't know if you guys watch the footage of fast bowlers' ankles and and sort of joints hitting the surface. You know, slow mo sort of close up angles and you think to yourself how did I not like break a million things each time I did that um so yeah to get away with it 14,000 times without doing an ankle was, was pretty good effort well that was of course that was just in test match cricket I mean if we want to go first class you you, you were touching 40,000 deliveries and that Holy was taking hell. away the the trainings and the the many hours that you would have been bowling to the likes of Brendan McCallum uh in the nets and Chris Cairns who you just pipped, Chris Cairns was number seven in the list, all-time list, at 213 wickets. Um, and uh, now you have been taken over by Wagner, Bolt, and Southie. Uh, I think... Oh, way from, to bring him down, mate. Way to bring from, him down. From memory, though, um, <laughs> from memory, Tommy, you uh, you were sitting at third for quite a while. Um, yeah, and I suppose I would have probably played with um, at least Bolt and Southey thinking, you know, I'm, I'm only going to be hanging out at number three for a wee while. Um, so <laughs> I stuck it in there. Um, as far as Wags, <laughs> he's just, he's surprised the hell out of everyone, hasn't he? He's been an amazing yeah. foil for those other two. Um, and it's not very often that New Zealand cricket has three guys who have played for as long as they have together um, and accumulated as many wickets. It's been, um, it's been phenomenal to watch, actually. 40,000 balls, I, I just can't get over. That is a whole heap of work, Chris. Did you love bowling, or were you really good at it? Or a bit of both? Uh, it was. I, it sort of fell into my lap a, re, a wee bit, that, that cricket career. Um, I mean, I, I obviously enjoyed it, and I suppose figured out that I could get paid to do it. Uh, and I enjoyed the travel, um, and I enjoyed the camaraderie and the mateship. So I think uh, the fact that it turns into a job and then you start to actually gauge and measure yourself against the best in the world, that's when you really start to figure out the enjoyment side of it because not everybody enjoys that side of it. Uh, so you really have to you know, figure out where, you, where your headspace is and um, what gets you out of bed every day to go and do it because you're not always the best out there doing it, um, but you've still got to you know, put, put the hard yards in for, for, for your teammates and, and, and all the people watching, really. So when you look back at, say, your progression up to first-class level, then into the test game, through those junior years, did, did you think you had a fair bit of talent or you were just out there competing with your friends and it wasn't until maybe in your teens when you you recognised something could happen? I think teens is a little early. I think a few of the people that I played um, with um, throughout that period um, were going on and doing um, pretty cool things. Uh, I was still caught probably with a lot of friends from school playing club cricket, not really getting a lot of um, traction, probably due to, you know, being a juvenile um, delinquent at that age. But um, I think it mm-hmm. gradually uh, I started to figure out that I needed to be a lot more professional. I think that would have hit me around 
the age of 21, 22, and I, I got the opportunity to go to the New Zealand Cricket Academy, and it, it, it kind of sharpened me up and wisened me up and probably showed me a pathway that I never really knew was there. Uh, and I got stronger and fitter, and uh, I think from that point on, I always wanted to play for New Zealand. So uh, that was the, the crucial um, piece in the puzzle. Um, and then once I, I got a little taste for it, um, then you just want more of it. So um, that's when the hard work really starts. Chris, how much of a delinquent were you in those years, and who was it? Did you have any coaches that you think back to that had a real instrumental part in your career of, of getting to the top? Um, I think <laughs> it's the odd conversation you have, especially uh, I think at the club level, um, where you turn up one day and, and you haven't been out for as late as you normally would, and you take you know seven or eight wickets, and one of the senior guys goes to me, you know, you, you're much better a bowler when you when you're not half drunk. Um, so I think you know little moments with guys like Ben Harris, which is Chris Harris's brother. Um, Garfield Charles was another guy who, who mm. figured out pretty early that I could throw the ball about 100 metres and he said you should be able to bowl about 140 if you can do that. So those guys um, definitely hit you uh, at, at the right time too. You know, you, you, you will be sitting having a beer when they hit you, um, but they, they definitely sharpen you up pretty quickly. Wow, that, that's quite a party trick after a few beers is throwing a ball 100 metres. Um, so well, when, when, when did you feel like a, a fast bowler for the first time? Um, oh, that's a hard one because I, I mean I spent a lot of time bowling with Bondi. Um, so I think when you're in your formative years and, you, and you're trying to compete against Bondi, you never really feel like a fast bowler. Um, but occasionally, um, I think at the first class level, you definitely feel like it. Like you can you can break hands and break ribs and hit people in the head. Um, but at the test level, that very rarely happens. So uh, I think any time you're playing for your country, um, feeling you know super fast and, and in that top echelon, um, I never quite felt like that. Um, but any time you hit, you know, between 140 and 145, um, you can definitely you know hurry people. Um, but there's a there's a 145 to 155 where it's you actually brutalise people. Um, I never quite yeah. got to that phase. <laughs> Yeah, Chris, you you probably finished just almost at the start of T20. Is it something that you wish you had played in this era now and you could, I guess, um, tamper with the sort of skills that they've got, all these different slow balls? Um, You got a small taste for it. Did you enjoy it? Um, I did, actually. I I just think that a lot of people um, coming through, uh, it, it helps with your imagination on the amount of deliveries in your arsenal. It, it also um, makes you aware that the, the batting is just getting so good you can't put the same ball down twice. So um, I think that creativity and that imagination is what all young players need in their game just to sort of figure out you know, where they can go and how good they can get. Um, I think growing up it was all about you know, bowling the same ball repetitively in the same area. Um, to put people under pressure and, and just to let them make an error. Whereas I think today, um, I think you'll see guys like Trent and guys like um, Tim, if they're struggling uh, in a test match, they can bring out all sorts of skills and angles and tools that they've learnt uh, through playing with the white ball as well. So I think that just makes everybody a better cricketer if you can if you can kind of keep those those tools um, getting better and you know utilising them in all formats.
You, of course, played in the first T20 World Cup back in 2007. Uh, we're about to see the, the latest edition of. So what tricks did you have in, in your bag at that uh, event? At, did, did you have a whole heat? What, what were the bowling plans in 2007? Was, was it fairly sort of same plan as you used to use in, say, a one-day international? I think with the new ball it was. Uh, I think um, you've got a very, uh, for a guy like me who can actually swing the ball, um, you've got yeah. at least four overs um, where you might be able to swing it. Uh, so I think back then they had, um, you know, oh, I generally bowl two or three up front. Uh, and then braces might whip me off and put on someone who could field. Um, so um, <laughs> that was kind of a role. <laughs> um, but I think uh, I definitely had a slower ball. I, I didn't have, um, I suppose, the variety of slower balls that you actually need today. Um, and yeah. I think the back of the hand was a little bit far-fetched for me. But again, using angles, um, I had a pretty good Yorker as far as steepness goes. It was quite hard to get hold of if I got it in the right spot. But Again, I had to swing the ball and treat it like the first, you know, 10 overs of a one-day game. For um, And that's probably why I didn't end up playing a hell of a lot because you actually, I think you need to be super fast um, and taking a lot of white ball, uh, sorry, new ball wickets to, to sort of do the sort of role that I was doing. Uh, Tommy, how did you enjoy, because I remember that you were involved in the era where they had um, that substitution rule. And I think it was just for one day as we you could have a 12th man and you could bring them in at any stage of the game. Um, and from memory, either you were brought in or taken out of the game early on. How did you enjoy that rule at, at that time? Um, it made perfect sense for um, you know, the, the skill set that I didn't have, which was batting. Um, I think um, I would have probably played uh, half a dozen games where perhaps that rule was available. Uh, it wasn't around for very long. Um, again, if you're relying on your number 11 to, to win your games with the bat, it wasn't really that functional uh, in, in you know outcome of the game. But if you could pull someone in who could who could bowl, um, you know, like I could at, at a certain point in the game, then that was definitely helpful. But um, yeah, it didn't really affect. I don't think I would have had a, a longer career with the white ball if that rule had stuck around. To put it that way. Your test debut on Monday. It's the 22nd anniversary of you making your test debut against South Africa, a side listed with talent. Do you remember your first test wicket as if it was yesterday? I do, actually, because um, that was you know one of those moments, and I'm sure, T.S., you've had yeah. that same feeling where you play um, and you you sort of, you know, you've got no blood really in your face. You look like a ghost. You're, you're just trying to hang in there and figure <laughs> out what you're doing. Yep. Maybe you can um, <laughs> cut it at that level um, and you get that first wicket and that changes your mindset and it, it makes you believe. So mine was Gary Kirsten. Um, it was right before lunch, so I'd had a, a full session out there already without a lot of success. Um, and he, he went, sort of drove at one um, and it flew through the Nathan Astle. So I remember it vividly because it was a, a ball that he shouldn't have played, but um, it flew through and I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm capable and... Um, a decent enough bowler to get a guy like him out. So it just, yeah, it makes you relax and you, and you get on with your day and you hope that you get a few more. Well, D- Daryl Tuffy went to first change. So you bowled first change in the in the first innings, but then it looked like you took the new ball uh, in the second innings. So was that something, um, I guess, of a... Asserting his dominance early. Yeah, asserting it early, but uh, they, they realised, well, this is a man that's going to be taking the new ball for New Zealand in the future. 
perhaps I think also there was a speedball radar there um, and I actually surprised myself um, and I remember Scotty Styrus being surprised that New Zealand actually had a bowler who could bowl 140 so um, that was possibly the reason that you know once you um, start running in and trusting the ball uh, where the ball is going to go and you start bowling in a certain um, click um, you generally will get given that new ball so I think that's what happened um, in, in that second innings. Um, but we were, I think Daryl and I um, and Brooke Walker, like a lot of us were all either A, making our debuts or just playing our first few games. So um, I think we only had, I mean, if Shane O'Connor was there, I don't remember. Um, I remember he was there briefly. Um, but we didn't have Nash, Cairns, um, sort of the people that, um, you know, had been in that side for quite a number of years to learn off. They were all um, injured and not available. Now you're right, Shane O'Connor, uh, Tuffy, Martin, Walker, Astle, McMillan did the bowling against a, a side from South Africa that had so much talent. You got a bit of a bunny in the second innings. Do you know who, who you got in the second innings? A bunny? Um, oh, um, Jacques oh, Cullis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one of the greatest cricketers have ever walked the face of the earth. But I'd like to know when you make your debut. I think you're 25, so you're not old, but you're not young. So, what what expectations did, did you feel like you could achieve in Test cricket when you when you came when you came in? Because some people have a maniacal self belief, right? I'm in this team. I'm going to be in it now for the next sort of 10, 15 years. What did Chris Martin have in his mind? Um, I think one tour at a time. I mean, I, I would have probably played for Canterbury at the age of 23, and then I'm playing for New Zealand at the age of 25. So it was it was pretty quick. I, I still wasn't really a professional either, and I, I didn't really have a rig that would, would get me, you know, through the day bowling at 140. Um, that wasn't really going to happen. So I, I was a long way from the finished article. So um, figuring that out, uh, as I played my first, you know, half a dozen tests, um, it was pretty eye-opening because I, I wasn't as good as perhaps my captain needed me to be at all times. So um, I actually had to go away and, and, and get professional, get strong, um, put on 8 to 10 kgs of, of muscle that could you know, make sure that I turned up every day and could bowl the way I needed to. Um, but again, that was at 28. So that's why I played till I was 38, I think, because I actually figured out I was good enough and I wanted to play for as long as I could. So that was my 10 years from probably 28 to 38. So I had nothing less, T.S. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't playing into my 40s like Jimmy Anderson. Christ, that would have killed me. <laughs> he is incredible. But so, Tommy, you must have had a highlight. I mean, I've got a scorecard here that I think will be your highlight in Test cricket. But is there a game where you think, oh, everything just clicked and you got the rewards and New Zealand won, uh, one that sticks out in your mind when you reflect? Um, well, it's always, I suppose, the South African game at Eden Park. Or, um, I mean, I had a, a morning at the Basin where I think I got the first six Sri Lankan wickets um, all in a row. So that was that was another morning where everything was going right. But uh, as far as a, a full game where you get your tenfer and, and you help win a game, um, it was definitely Eden Park. Yeah, that's the that that's the scorecard I've got out yet. Yeah, six, six for seventy six in the first innings and a, and a five for in the second. Uh, he had a few runs to bowl to too. It was a, it was a good test match. I think he's got five hundred ninety five, didn't they? Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember how many runs you got though, Tommy? Did you peel off a few uh, runs? 
I just looking now. You know, I edit that stuff from my mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we won't. We won't. Well, he went down that path. Uh, and un- unfortunately, we'll have to talk about the batting. Because, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I'd like to know what, what about a team highlight? Obviously, winning against South Africa after taking eleven wickets, enormous. But is there one test that's more special from a team's perspective? That um, you might not have had a big contribution in, but is there one test that sticks out on that in that capacity? I beat South Africa by nine wickets. That, that was one amazing. that you're talking about, Tommy, at Eden Park. Incredible test. Yes, that was that was yeah. I mean, as far as having um, all the people that I looked up to um, when I was trying to get into that side playing and and beating South Africa, you can see how much it meant to them. Um, I think on the other side of that, um, you know, the number of years that I played against Australia. And I think uh, would have had my ass handed to me on 98 <laughs> percent of the occasions that I played them. Um, the um, test at Hobart, where I think you know a lot of the younger guys came in and they played really well, um, and we managed to beat you know uh, a, probably an aging um, South, uh, an aging um, Australian side at Hobart. So I think when I sat in that changing room, I would have probably felt a little bit like. Um, Flem and Kenzie beating South Africa, you know, like it's a it's a different yeah. feeling uh, when you've been trying for that long to actually beat somebody that's generally too good for you. So Hobart definitely, yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you remember who the man of the match at Hobart was? We we were chatting well, about do, this yesterday in the commentary box. Yeah, he's the most hated man in in, in world cricket. Um, so it's not Doug Bracewell. Um, but um, Devi. Yeah, <laughs> Debbie but, Warner. <laughs> Davey Warner. But it, that's was a pretty, a, it was a pretty special just like, made, in, made in Test 100, right? Yeah, but just classic, though. I mean, New Zealand win in, in Hobart, win the series. Dougie Brace will get six for and they give it to Davey yeah, Warner. Very, very Australian. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, I understand. The batting, are you sick, of, you sick of questions about your batting, commentary about your batting, Chris? How do you and your batting get along? Um, much... Like, uh, well, I suppose you, you, <laughs> it's a very hard question, actually, because um, I know uh, that I've got a very um, good sense of humour. I'm, I'm pretty laid back. Yes. Um, I yeah. can take it on the chin from most people, um, especially um, when they start talking about my batting. Um, but again, every now and then, I, I won't take it that well, but it's very yeah. few and far between. Um, and I've earned that reputation as, as the walking wicket, as the you know, sort of um, the bunny. Um, so whatever you want to call me in those terms, I deserve it. Um, so, uh, but again, I suppose I always end up falling back onto the, you know, there's someone there in their 90s um, and they need to get through to 100. And I, I didn't let, um, I don't think I let anyone down at test level. Um, I can't re- remember at first class level, but I generally get you through when there's something on the line. Yeah. Well, well I actually told Daniel Orfeig, uh, Tommy, I said that uh, I was your, I don't know if you remember, but I was your batting coach in Sri Lanka, yeah, where they, they paired you up with uh, a batter. <laughs> and, and he said, oh, well, because they blame everything on me in the show. So he, he blames your batting prowess on me now. Fair enough, I say. Well, you and Craig McMillan, he was the other one who was paired up to, to help me out. Um, yeah, I, I think I just had to give up on it um, and, and accept that, you know, I, I was pretty shit. Um, could hardly pick the ball up. Slightly scared. Uh, and if I had my time again, I might try and bat a little bit like Bolty, which is um, swing for the swing for the hills and, and yeah. hope that you um, get hold of a few. 
Well, if, well, if I, you can't pick it up, you can't pick it up, right, right? Well, I am going to uh, bring up some, some stats here, Tommy, for you, because um, when <laughs> I was your batting coach in Gaul and Colombo, you, you, scored, you scored two runs, but you faced 50 deliveries um, in those two runs, and you didn't right. get out once. That, that was the key. You didn't get out once. So um, there you go. Okay. Was I successful or not? I'd, I'd have to say that maybe yes. it was the starting of something special, and then you must have moved to someone else. Way to make this about yourself, coach. Grant. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. Absolutely it might have been awesome. half, half of my career delivery space in that one innings to you. So you, you can take it. <laughs> well, just before the Black Clash, I'm more than happy to give you some yeah. throwdowns. Are you, are you excited um, to get back on the field again, Tommy? I think so. Um, it's just I, I need to do a bit of prep. I just need to make sure that you know the embarrassment levels are, are um, a little lower um, than uh, perhaps my last game of cricket that I played. But um, I definitely want to get down there, and I definitely want to be part of that event. And I think having seen it on the telly and, and seen the crowds that support it and seeing the people that play um, definitely enjoy the game. So I'm really looking forward to it, actually. There's a, there's a couple of tips I have. The first one is don't get first night fever. We say that every year. Um, and the second one is is don't use the same run-up you used when you started <laughs> playing because Millsy did that, and I think he was a metre short on his first delivery when he tried to take off. I won't be doing that. Yeah. Good advice. Please, please tell me you've still got the headband, and that will make an appearance. Well, it has to, really. Um, even though yeah. in my career I only wore it at various times, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely pull the headband out. Absolutely, brilliant stuff. And these days, how are you involved in sport? As we, we get you out on this one, um, I think just through my kids, really. Uh, I mean, they they know everything and and anything to do with whatever they're doing. But um, I'm there watching and giving advice. But they are um, they're playing a little <laughs> bit of cricket. They're playing netball. Um, you know, they're good little swimmers. They're they're awesome awesome girls to be around and I think that's where sport for me is right now apart from um, you know I'll be tuning in to watch the Black Caps a wee bit um, I'm enjoying watching the uh, the baseball at the moment it's the playoffs so that's that's a big part of you know relaxing uh, is having a cold ale and watching sports so yeah that's about it for me Brilliant stuff well Chris Martin thanks for all the memories thanks for being uh, great to deal with over the years we look forward to speaking to you down the line thanks so much Thanks a lot, Tommy. Awesome. You're always Daniel. great chatting Thanks to you. you. And, uh, we do need to catch up for uh, for barbecue at some stage. We do, absolutely. I'm I'm barbecuing today to you, so um, I'll send you a right. Get that <laughs> get that beanie on. <laughs> All good. <laughs> All right. Chris Martin joining us, part of our Saturday session legend segment. Uh, over 70 test matches for New Zealand. Uh, over 200 test wickets, 233 to be exact. Uh, impressive career for sure. 40,000 deliveries. It's frightening. It's actually well over that if you actually total everything up. But yeah, It's uh, an incredible workload. Great servant of the game. Played through to his 38. Um, great humour. Yeah, and I think, I think someone like Tommy, I don't think he gets enough uh, credit for the fact that, you know, your Bolts, your Southie, your Wagners are up there now because the succession and not only is he a great man, but, you know, he had done it all by the time they were just coming through. So, you know, to have that mentor in a team, I think, is so important. And, and uh, learning on the job is really interesting yeah. to, to hear him say he didn't really become a professional in his own mind and his own habits and, mm. until he'd cracked the, that, that level. Yeah. It's quite telling.
Uh, brilliant stuff. Hope you enjoyed. So we do appreciate his time and, and clearly uh, still follows the game uh, keenly. It's 11 minutes away from 12 o'clock. Our Saturday session, Legends, in association with Somerset. Think new friends, new laughs and a new home. Think Somerset Retirement Villages. Somerset.co.nz. Back after this. Clock, thanks again to Chris Martin joining us for our Saturday session Legends segment. I'm glad he opened up about his batting because that would annoy me. People just constantly talk about my batting when I'd taken over 200 test weight. But you know what? That, that's, a, that's what sport's like. I mean, we had yeah, Alan Donald. because we're miserable Donald. people. We're yes. miserable people. We had Alan Donald at the ground. He was the bowling coach for Bangladesh. Uh, so we had uh, Alan Donald was there, Shane Bond was there, Sean Tate was there, and Wacker Yunus was there. Oh, my gosh. You know, you've got 600 kilometers an hour <laughs> with four people. And um, – People will say about Alan Donald when I was growing up in South Africa. Oh, I remember when he dropped the bat. 1999. I remember him nearly taking batsman's head off. And you go like, well, what of all the good stuff he did? And I mean, I I was at a game at the Basin Reserve. And um, this was when I just started my career. And I was on the boundary fielding. And then some kid went, oh, look, it's Grant Elliott. And I was listening to it. And his friend goes, who? He goes, Grant Elliott. He goes, oh, I don't know who he is. And he goes... The guy that was run over by Ryan Sidebottom <laughs> in the one day international. So and I was 2015 like, doesn't happen. And I was yeah, like, Are you Ryan Sidebottom's bottom? Yeah. Yeah. The guy that got run over by Ryan Sidebottom's bottom. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like. Sliding doors. What is wrong with the human race at the moment? <laughs> and I'm going to bring up my non nomination at some stage. On the other side of the break. Um, Dave writes Daniel, was Jimmy Spittle playing for your Mariners? Uh, that was my non-nomination, my Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, they're certainly not my Mariners. Um, but, yeah, they were down by seven, so I see what you're saying there. Good one, Dave. I appreciate it. Speaking of the baseball, the Phillies lead the Braves uh, 6-1 in the bottom of the sixth. Uh, that series is locked up at 1-all. Dodgers play the Padres uh, later, also in the National League. That is 1-all. Uh, uh, while the Guardians beat uh, the Yankees earlier today, four runs to two. That went to extra innings to 10 and uh, that series is now locked up at one all. Um, hope you're enjoying the Major League Baseball playoffs. It's a whole different ball game. NBA, ba- as you said, NBA basketball does start on the 19th, Wednesday, Wednesday. the 19th. So that'll be bad. Oh, your boys will be first, won't they? Celtics 76ers and the Warriors Lakers. Come on, the heat is first up. The heat. In the Halliard house. I'll back after this. We're into the afternoon, people. Welcome aboard if you're tuning in for the very first time. This is the Saturday session. He's Grant Elliott. I'm Daniel McCarty. Ben Francis is our producer. We take you through to 1 o'clock before 1. We'll catch up with Clado and team to find out what the good oil have in store for us. We'll actually have some live racing for you, too. Uh, we're going to cross to race number 1 at Hastings at 20 past 12. We'll also be um, at race number 2 from Ashburton at 25 minutes to 1 o'clock. Uh, got any oil for us on those races, Grant? No, you're normally good at picking them, though. Yeah, well, I just... because I go with the, the, the tried and tested system of picking on colours or name you do. that I like. Yeah, so yeah, I very scientific. tune in, because we're going to give our picks, and normally, when Daniel McCarty gets it right, he starts standing up and waving his finger in my face. I don't know if that's <laughs> the his Billy thing. Moore, mate. The Billy Moore. Like he's giving the me bi- a send-off. <laughs> the Billy Moore, finger in the face. So competitive. Brilliant stuff. Uh, one man who, who, who knows... Uh, few more things uh, about a specialty topic than um, than I do about horse racing joins us now. We're going to talk some football. A uh, big week in New Zealand football, Grant. The Wellington Phoenix kicked off their A-League season. Heartbreaking into that one, conceding a late equaliser um, to Adelaide. But the big story of the week has, of course, been the departure of uh, Danny Hay. While it's been, um, you know, well signposted, it's still uh, a big deal when uh, a head coach uh, walks away from 
his job or has not asked back or asked to um, reapply for the job. Um, yeah, so Danny Hayes' uh, contract has lapsed his time as All-Whites head coach has come to an end. David Choate, former All-Whites and SENZ football commentator, joins us here on the program. David, afternoon. Good day, David. Good afternoon. I thought you were going to get me on to call the horses, boys. I thought, Jesus, that's going to be good. What sort of what sort of tipping advice would I get? Probably the same as Granddad Charlie gave me back the last and the last, and always go for a grey horse. <laughs> <laughs> that actually sounds like sound advice. Last and the last, and always go the grey horse. Yeah, well, I, I've been threatening to call a race. So I've actually asked Daniel and uh, Clado if I should call a race. Maybe we can do it together, David. Yeah, yeah, that that, that could be the end of racing as we know it. That could be uh, <laughs> a game changer. I think your granddad Charlie would come back from the grave and actually what tell you to what he used to call you by your nickname. What was it? Yes, he just told me to shut up, Dave. And that was about <laughs> the, uh, the long and the short of any conversation with my granddad Charlie. God bless him. <laughs> right, let's get to the Danny Hay departure. Uh, overall, my feelings, Dave. I'm just a little bit sad that New Zealand football um, is in a position where it's bad news over uh, good news, uh, especially when you consider the talent currently in this All Whites. Set up. I'm a bit conflicted about this one personally, which I'll get into, but your overall thoughts on his departure as head coach of the All Whites? It was almost no news for me, Daniel. That was, I think, mm. signalled well before the end. Um, there was a slow death, if you like, of the Danny Hay era. Um, at the end of the campaign, there was no sort of word from anybody. Everyone was pretty quiet. All the football chat around the sidelines was that um, Danny was dead man walking in terms of his reapplying or being reappointed. It sounded like things had um, drifted apart post that Costa Rica match. Mm. David, I, w- I want to get my head around it because I spent a little bit of time with Andrew Duranto when he was here in, in Wellington and it really fascinated me the different, um, I guess, power struggle within... Oh, it's not a struggle. It's just the, power dynamic. the dynamic of football compared to cricket. Now, cricket, the captain is in charge. The coach works in the background, but the captain runs the team. However, Andrew said to me, no, the coach is very much the person that is in charge. They're running exactly the way that you want to play, and they're the ones that um, tell everyone what to do. Um, is, is that the case um, with uh, most football teams, and is there room to change? 100%. It is the coach who carries the can, uh, and he wears the boot. Uh, at the end of the season, uh, captains come and go, and... Uh, they always say it's the players that get the coach sacked, and that's uh, a bit of a truism in football, but it is very much the coach in charge. The other truism in football is uh, never fall out with your boss. It might be a good uh, adage for all sorts of endeavours, but uh, <laughs> when you start being distant from your boss, um, the person who pays you, um, you're probably on a slippery slide, and that seems to be what's happened here. New Zealand football, the power that pays the bills, have clearly sort of drifted apart from Danny Hay through the latter part of his campaign, I think, would be the long and the short of the story. But very much the coach is the boss, and he carries the can. He takes, uh, takes the hit when it's going badly. And generally, the players take all the, all, the, all the glory when it's going well, so it's a tough old gig coaching. Yeah, and I think David is right about uh, the dynamic between his bosses and Danny Hay. Uh, I, I know a, a lot of media um, plucked out the the autocratic line uh, from the from the actual report, the, the public report into the to the uh, World Cup campaign that New Zealand football did publish, 
Um, and, and the big line many people would have seen, there is no doubt that the coaching style of head coach Danny Hay is predominantly autocratic with a number of players describing him, amongst other things, demanding and intense. Um, I, I need to make very clear, at the bottom of the same paragraph, the same paragraph in the same report, it says, Mr Hay unquestionably has the support of the vast majority of the playing group. So, so it's not that. But David, results open the door for New Zealand football to make a change here. He... he gets a slice of luck against Costa Rica, they're at a World Cup, they wouldn't dare make this change, would they? Absolutely not. But that's right. The, the results always um, tell the tale. And I think in the last five games, no goals for. And and what is a... Um, sounds harsh, but a failed campaign to qualify for the World Cup when you've got to go through that last hurdle of playing a, a side that's ranked well above you. In this case, it was a one-off match, wasn't it? So it was sort of... A, in a neutral venue, it was almost, uh, if there was ever going to be a time to sort of bust through again, this was possibly the opportunity. But the results have uh, not gone the way of uh, Danny Hay late in his coaching career. There haven't been enough games for mine, and that's a, a, an administration uh, glitch uh, or, or, a, or a weakness in, in the model. But uh, I think that Danny Hay was, uh, he knew he was probably uh, not favourite if he reapplied. So why would you reapply? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, one thing, he needs to accept some responsibility for New Zealand football too. David, the All Whites and New Zealand football's high-performance staff operated almost entirely independently of each other in silos for much of the campaign. Um, that's not good, is it? That was identified in this report as they work on. But the other startling thing for me is that that idea had also been revealed in the previous campaign reviews of, of, of the Miss World Cups from you know, four years ago and four years before that. So who's... Who's going to join those dots? The organisation yeah. who now for three straight campaigns hasn't been able to do it? Yeah, well, that's the um, sort of this, the, the, the area of exploration, I think, in terms of investigative journalism. What's going on between um, sort of the high-performance team and the coaching staff? How can they be disconnected? How does it get to this? Um, there's some reasonable questions to be asked because clearly New Zealand football were out of touch with Danny Hay in terms of uh, philosophy or coaching styles. I think that's coming through loud and clear and and uh, the high performance area of sport uh, was also distancing itself um, which is just odd and it's been a constant really um, the administration of the game needs a look at as much as the coaching of the national side do the coaching yeah. of the national side for me is uh, a little bit secondary at the moment they haven't got anyone to play anyway so you or I could coach the side for the next few weeks um, <laughs> I think they should focus on what's going on in the back office uh, David, is it fair to say that the New Zealand players probably not as as skilled as the top teams in the world? Yes, and that the coach is not going to help the skill level of those players. But what sort of coach does the New Zealand team need? Because Daniel sits next to me here and he goes, "Oh, you know, the struggle to score goals, struggle to score goals." But if you get a coach who's really aggressive, can the players actually implement that game plan? What do we need here? Well, that's that's the big test uh, in all the conversations I'm having with football folk. It's the hardest part of the game, scoring goals and getting sides forward and being brave and creating opportunities and being composed in front of a goal and, and taking your chances when they're on offer is the hardest thing in football. It's why the, uh, the big players earn the big bucks and they're typically strikers who can find that space and time and be that sort of quality striker. That's going to be the challenge for any coach taking an all-white side. What I would say is the skill level of players in New Zealand has come ahead leaps and bounds over the last four, eight, 
10 years, I think, uh, it's been a consistent improvement in our technical ability. We now have all whites who are playing around the world, dotted in various leagues, some of them very good leagues, but all of them professional leagues. Uh, and their technical ability to keep the ball and play possession was on show in the Danny Hay era. The hardest thing in the game is to create those opportunities going forward. So if I was looking for a coach, I'd be looking for someone who uh, has got a record in producing sides that can get forward. I think it was Kevin Fallon might have been in the press in the last week just saying against Australia, a little more bravery. And I think he's right. I think yeah. there is a an element of sort of a psychological impasse of getting forward and leaving yourself exposed. You've got to play with risk at times. And maybe that's the kind of coach they should look for, someone who's going to give them just that little bit more bravery. They rely so heavily on Chris Wood. We need to create that second striker, that third person arriving in the box. I think that's the challenge for anyone taking on an all-white role. David Chode is with us, a former white and uh, Phoenix commentator here on SCNZ. Let's pivot to the uh, the A-League. The Wellington Phoenix uh, finished up one all. Um, after they had a man sent off in the first half, Jan Suss, uh, at that stage they probably would have taken a draw, Dave, but a pr- pretty deflating way to to concede and at a time overall, would they have been happy with the performance though? In Stadelaide? I think they'd be happy yeah, I think they'd be happy with the bravery of the performance and the work that was put in, the effort that went in. Um, when they were eleven v eleven they were being shaded, I thought, in the opening match. It's very early to start calling sides sort of capability sort of twenty minutes into a season, but they looked second best last weekend for the first uh, twenty minutes or so for mine. They knuckled down to their job uh, with 10 men and did it very, very well and almost completed the perfect smash and grab. As we talked about, it was a, a late goal that they conceded, which sort of broke the hearts in the end and made them feel a little empty, probably walking off the ground. But on reflection, I think they'd say uh, it's a good point and it's a good point point earned. It was a real hard sort of grafting point that they got. I think Tele though, will be looking for an improved footballing performance. I think... They never really got going. They were fits and starts. Late on, Ben Wayne uh, entered the fray and clearly with the goal, put his hands up pretty strong. But his his energy was uh, well received, as was Clayton Lewis at midfield. I thought two of the players who came off the bench would be uh, strong contenders to start uh, tomorrow. David, uh, at the start of a campaign like the A-League, obviously quite a lengthy season. I mean, you you think of the combinations and you pick players and, as that evolves over time, how did the combinations look for Wellington Phoenix? Do you think that they'll make a lot of changes during the season? And surely as a coach, you want to try and find as much consistency as possible early on. 100%. I'm betting in these new players. And uh, Zavada up front showed glimpses. Um, did he look like he was on the same wavelength as everyone else? Not necessarily just yet. So I think there's time to see whether he can find himself a spot in that striking role. I mean, if you think about combinations, the goal that was scored was Lewis to Barbarousis with uh, Wayne following up. So I think Clayton Lewis is a very key player in, in creating the sort of the link play, if you like. Um, in midfield, Krajev, um, again, in a, in a battling performance, didn't see a lot of the action, did a lot of work to try and re- you know, you know, retrieve behind the ball, um, didn't get a lot of chance to go forward. So combinations is key. Um, I'd look for those Kiwi players who do know each other. Remember, Barbarousas and Lewis, they've played together in all-white shirts. I think that's a, a key matchup. Ben Wayne is, is, is within the same camp, so you would say yeah, those players start to uh, form good partnerships. But the key for me will be how they can integrate their uh, their import players who clearly come as starting 11 players. So uh, you don't bring an import here not to start. So I think that's going to be the key to the uh, the Phoenix season. 
And it's not as if we can uh, break down Central Coast Mariners, their opponent for tomorrow's afternoon, uh, tomorrow afternoon, their first game of the season, uh, because it was a washout. It was uh, called off yeah. uh, because torrential downpour in the lead up to it uh, led. It, it looked like an underwater hockey, more suitable for underwater hockey. Uh, but the Mariners, I think, are going to be without some um, key under twenty internationals, uh, including Green Quoll, um, who, who is a massive talent, isn't he, David? It's a bit, a bit of a shame we won't get to see him in person. Exactly that. He's uh, jetted off to big things with Newcastle. You saw him uh, enter the field of play against the Whites in that second international just recently, and he looked lightning fast and uh, creative to boot. So uh, he's got real potential. I was reading the Australian press. They wonder if he's gone a little early. Could he have done with a, another season? But uh, I think if you're, you're good enough, you're old enough. So uh, good luck to him. As you say, hard to read how the Central Mariners, the Central Coast Mariners uh, will turn out. First game jitters. Um, a chance for them to finally try and sort of put some combinations together. So much like the Phoenix, um, the first few rounds of the season are very, very hard to pick. Thanks so much for your time. See you at uh, Sky Stadium tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Thanks a lot, David. Uh, We will have uh, coverage of the Phoenix game at uh, Sky Stadium against Central Coast Mariners from 2.30 with kickoff at Three bang on three o'clock, not five past as of last week. I understand. We will take a short break um, and uh, then head to Hastings, uh, race number one, where Ian Smith has just been on the uh, the TV screen with the form book. Hopefully, you've done your uh, your research. Race number one from Hastings up after this. Nineteen minutes after twelve o'clock. Uh, eyes on meeting number four, race number one, Hastings. Uh, they're a little bit slow to get into the gate. Grant Elliott and I and Ben Francis can weigh in on this one. Uh, we have a difference of opinion. Uh, man of the match can be from the losing team, in my mind, because man of the match, the best player on in the game, can be on a losing side, right? So you, you're telling me, Granelet, and you disagree on this. I disagree. So the best player on the field in a team game is always on the winning side? Yes. It's, that's a nonsense. That's what I think. It's I, a nonsense. I, th- I think it should always be from the winning team. So Michael Bracewell should have got man of the match last night. He didn't, because he wasn't on the winning team. Uh, so they gave it to Mohamed Nawaz with 38 not out of 22. Oh, whoop-de-doo. Bracewell, Bracewell's figures were far and away the best performance of that game. Didn't no, get man of the match? Absolutely. Should have got man of the match? We should have got three for. Should have got man of the match? Uh, no, no. he wasn't on the winning team. No, he wasn't on the winning team. Mohamed Nawaz is 38. And, and I know you raised, raised Australia in the David Warner. Australia has a habit <laughs> of doing this, even when they lose the game. They'll give it to an Australian. <laughs> ben Francis, if you're on a losing team, can you be man of the match? That's a fundamental rule. I, I don't see an issue with it, but uh, I don't like it how it's always like the goal scorer. He's wagging the finger. He's wagging the finger in my face. <laughs> Margaret Jean, number 10, betting yellow, number four. Karuba Jack, I think, uh, coming home in uh, third, number five. Ten for five. Uh, yes, one from one. The Billy Moore is out. Is it great, co- great start in our personal little rivalry. Is it called an inquisition? An inquiry. Inquiry? Yeah. Um, number 12, who I was going for, he's, she's so reliable. He's a very knowledgeable audience listening. It just it comes looked to like... Be very careful what you're about to say. It was... Look, here we go. We're looking at the... It was boxed in. And then he pulls up. He has to pull up. There. Right here. Okay, what Look, was more unjust? What was more unjust, that or Michael Clark getting man of the match when he scored 90-odd? It might be this race. In a, in a one-day international <laughs> against New Zealand that they lost. 
And you might have got 70-odd not out. That one. That one. <laughs> that was more unjust. <laughs> yeah. But I must say, big up to Amanda and Sam, who I met last night in the, the Pegasus Inn. They were big fans of the Saturday Sesh, big racing fans. I'm sure they're just tuning in now. And they're going to get some good tips from Danny McCarty. Do we have another race? We've got another race coming, don't we? Yeah, there's another one another at one. Uh, 25 minutes away from 1 o'clock okay, uh, from Ashburn. You're going to do your study. I'm going to do guy. some prep Before for Before you one. do that, though, Grant, um, it's time for our, or your nomination for our Workhorse of the Week in association with Midas Tires. Midas Agritires, made in Europe and trusted by leading equipment manufacturers worldwide. European quality doesn't have to break the bank. Ask for Midas Agritires for your equipment. Right, Grant, I need to know from you. I need to know from you. Who or what has been the hardest worker of the week? Who has, you know, metaphorically speaking, toiled the land and bring the best out of sport? As far as you're concerned. I'm going to go non-nomination first. Okay, we'd like a non-nomination. The non-nomination, which I'm a big fan of, I just, I think the human race, we might be doomed. Because I look at this and it was, there's a football that is being, it's going up for auction, and it's expected to sell for at least two and a half million pounds a football. Wow. You would think, maybe, is this a golden gold in a World Cup? Is it the first gold? Is it Pelé himself? Ronaldo. You get yeah. Pelé for a year. Pelé for a year, or dinner with Pelé and the ball, or, you know, what's going on here? No, Jordan's it's not. Ball, Jordan's ball from his last shot in the NBA? It's the football that was at the feet and the hand of Diego Maradona as he shocked the world with his acts of both brazen gamesmanship and breathtaking skill in Mexico what? 36 years ago. gamesmanship? Who wrote that article? It's called cheating. Well, brazen gamesmanship, yeah. It's just out and out cheating. So it's what the, is wrong with the world, Grant? It's the, what is wrong with the world? People want to talk about Chris Martin's batting over his 233 test wickets. And now people want to spend millions upon millions of dollars of a football from a, just a cheat. Five million New Zealand dollars. And <laughs> the ball in question is from the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal between Argentina and England. For those of you who haven't seen it. Where have you been? Maradona Seriously. scored six minutes into the second half by sneakily punching the ball over England goalkeeper Peter Shilton into the net. A goal he said afterwards had, had been helped by the hand of God. Poor Diego. No one ever th- talks about the second goal in that game. Which they, is they do in this article. Amazing, so, amazing yeah. goal. Granted, the, the brazen cheating, as that uh, News Hub article needs to be edited, my <laughs> brazen cheating. But I will go, for my, my hard yards nomination, I have to go for Michael Bracewell. Not only is he a Wellingtonian, but I and think... we like a bit of Wellington bias. The way that the way that he's bowled has been unbelievable. He's come into this team and he's been absolutely exceptional. Um, you know, he started playing in Europe. He got runs. He's burst into this team. We saw his hundred at Pukekura Park in the T20 domestic, um, 140, where single-handedly beat CD. And um, for him to come in and just, it looks like he's at home in international cricket. I think. Um, you know, his eight wickets in that series and man of the series. Yeah, uh, 17 award. overs. No, man, it's eight for 84. Yeah. Uh, that's an average of 10.5 in an economy of 4.94 in T20 cricket. That is that is mad. Almost the same Over as five the, games. the postman. He was doing a Gavin Larson there. Under, under fives in one-day cricket. I mean, in, or in T20 cricket. You just don't see it. So, 
great for him to to burst into the team and give us more options. But but I, I love the other stat about uh, you know we know he started off more as a batsman part-time bowler, he's now on the side more for his bowling than his batting. And you keep making this point, you know, don't worry about the the depth of your batting lineup. Don't worry about seven and eight or nine being able to contribute. How many runs did Michael Bracewell get in the series? Two. One. One. He batted three times, had two not outs, and his high score was one not out. Yeah. But, uh, you know, T20 cricket's like that. <laughs> ben Francis's career. <laughs> But, but he will contribute, and you look. Well, no, he can contribute, but yeah, when, when you make it, and we talked about it earlier in the show about you know breaking down the balance of your team, he, he's head head with Santner and Sodi rather than yeah, an an all an all rounder, so, or a batting all rounder that that yeah. was a few months. So ago. the question you have to ask: so someone like Satner, who let's say he bats at eight, he will face on average four balls in mm. a game, even seven will. Not face many balls. But will bowl 24. So he's involved in 28 balls of the game. Now, Bracewell, who, um, if he's batting at 7 or 8, he'll face 7 balls. Will he bowl maybe 2 overs? If he's going really well, he'll bowl 4. But let's say 2 overs. So now he's going to be involved in 19 balls of the game. So do you pick a Sodi, who's going to bowl 3 overs, which is 18 balls, or do you pick a Bracewell? Who's going to have the most impact? Well, you've got a week to ponder, Grant. We'll be back on air at 10am next Saturday, ahead of the first game of the T20 World Cup from a New Zealand's perspective. We will have full commentary of that game uh, in each and every New Zealand game. Uh, Grant will be alongside me uh, throughout uh, most of that tournament. Are uh, you bringing the snacks? No, that's your job. Oh, yeah, we, uh, well, we, th- we actually had a bowl This from was from Halloween. the last T20 World Cup, wasn't it? It's still going. Well, this is quite funny. It because was so impressive. It was so impressive. So you can be on snacks, Grant. Um, and Michael Bracewell winning Grant Elliott's Midas Tires Workhorse of the Week. Uh, we will take a break. It's bang on half past uh, 12. Uh, we're going to head to Ash Burton and race number two Ooh. not far away. 26 minutes away from 1 o'clock. Still to come before we depart at 1 when we hand over the keys to uh, Clado and crew who are, as Ben Francis describes uh, to us, uh, Grant Elliott, somewhere but not here in the studio. I can see which him. Which narrows it down to somewhere on earth. He's in They're going to do the show from somewhere on earth that is not the SNZ studios. Do you know what it looks like? A pub? It looks like the Lone Star in Invercargill. Okay. Have I nailed that? Okay. I'm not sure you have. Uh, before we cross to Clado, we're going to cross to Ash Burton. Meeting number six, race number two. Are you willing to stick your neck out, Grant? Which one are you going for? Number 12, Venturesome. It's got prize money of 36,000. Um, recent race, it was a, a soft course, 1,200 uh, metres. Oh, yawn. Come um, on. Get and to it. The race about to go. $18. Number five, number Chandler. That is the middle name of my father and brother. That's, that's how I choose horses. <laughs> Good luck, number five. Well, it looks like uh, number one, Senior Uno, uh, beating Venturesome, number 12, and number 10, Ariel Blue, coming home in uh, third. I almost Chandler wagged. looked like he was going to run away and lap them. Yeah. He just ran out of steam, Chandler, and uh, I think Chris Lyon in fifth. Don't quote me on that one. Which way was your horse? Venturesome. Yeah, I know. It was about to win, and then I, I was about then, to wag my finger in your face. And then your horse didn't win. Senior Uno. Got which um, made me very, very happy. I think we're going to cross to Clado now. No, uh, now Clado now. Let's slow down. We're getting we're getting a little bit excited by the racing, aren't we? Clado is. Where, where, where do you think he is? I thought he was in uh, the Lone Star in um, in, in Vicargo. That's what it looked like. Yeah, 
Plato, where are you? How are you? Um, I can confirm I am not in Invercargill. But we are in Auckland, and we've taken the good all on the road today, and we're at a bar called Shapiro's up the top of Simon Street. So if anybody's around in the area, come in, have a beer. It's a bloody beautiful place in here, beautiful bar. We've got Steve McKee, legendary Group 1 winning trainer, and Blake Ashford, standout centre for the Warriors. And he's still looking fit and oh, fun very nice. get the call up. So it's looking forward to a good show. The boys have done all their form and all their study, and we're rearing to get into it. Plato, um, Daniel called the, the horse in the first race, and I almost got venturesome there. I just want to I want to clarify, you know, Daniel uh, chose Chandler because that was his uncle's middle name. My father and brother's middle name. Father and brother's middle name. Do not poo-poo how I choose horses. Um, I was a little bit more qualified, I thought. <laughs> oh, we've lost Plato. No, we no, lost no, Plato? he's there. He's oh, there. Still no, there. He's still um, theory. I, my theory was, I looked at the horses and I thought, who's won the most prize money? I'm going to go by that. Is that a, a good way to bet? Yeah, well, I sort of looked at Senor Uno, and I'm pretty sure Uno means one in one of the many languages of the world, and it's number one. <laughs> I thought it was easy. Well, there you go. It's that easy. <laughs> See? It's that easy. See, you, you poo-pooing my technique. You stick to your technique, mate. My technique seems to be working out a lot better than yours. Well, I think you're going to get better tips on the good oil than you do in the Saturday yeah. sesh. We've established oh, look, that. She's a big day of racing, and we're going to get a few people texting in whether they prefer the $15 million pop-up race, the Everest, or whether the time on a traditional Caulfield Cup. Now, they're running different states today to split the talent, but $15 million for the Everest against the $5 million for the Caulfield Cup. And, oh, boy, New South Wales and Victoria, they're in a war to see who's the best. We don't have that problem over here. Well, problem, or I don't know if it adds to the sport, Clado, um, that's a whole lot of coin. That's a whole lot of moolah. To answer your own question, uh, I'll put it back on you. How would you? Do you like the pop-up? Would you like the history? I'd be a historian. I'd I'd probably go the old old one. I'm the historian, yeah. I'm going with the history. Um, I can't keep going like this. $15 million every year for the Everest, and something's got to blow. We've seen it happen before, and... um, but there's so many of those pop-up races, and a lot of them are designed to go head-to-head and try and just ruffle or unruffle uh, the Victoria Racing carnivals they have. So something's got to give somewhere along the line. Okay, looking at those two big races, for, for the they're big stake races, and, and I'm sure a, a lot of our punters will be contemplating them already. You know, who do you like the look of in those? Look, there's... Um, Always go for the Kiwi Breads, they're the top of my list. We've got No Compromise, who won the Metropolitan Handicap in the Caulfield Cup for the local owners of Furloughs down there at Waverley. And we've got uh, his half-brother in Benno. But there's a cricketing term there. Uh, Benno, Richie, Richie, two, two. Oh, Richie. And, and my favourite, my favourite. I'm all over the 17 smoking Romans to win the Caulfield and the Melbourne Cup. So there you go, easy colours to follow. Black and light blue diagonal stripes just... Back Spoken Romans and follow him, boys. What a fantastic name, Plato. Uh, just remind us who's with you today down at Shapiro's. Shapiro's, we've got Steve McKee and Blake Ashford. And everybody's welcome along to turn up and say good day. Brilliant Can't stuff, Plato. Day, good to see you, mate. And enjoy it. Stay away from the bar. Be on the right side of the bar. <laughs> oh, that's no, he's, he's not. And I already have massive FOMO. You feeling jealous? <laughs> Yeah. Like Clayton's got the sun coming in over his neck, got a little ale. We're on a cupboard in Petoni. What a setup! What a setup Clayton's got. Yeah. How does he get a setup like that? He's on a road show as yeah. well. 
Do you know if it's sunny outside in the Riviera of the South Pacific? I don't know, but I'd love to go on a this, Saturday sea road This trip. is how far we have to go to see natural light. This, uh, Grant, you just hold the floor. You see, that makes me nervous. When Daniel McCarty leaves the show like that, the head sets down. I'm now in charge. He's going outside to have a look whether or not the sun's out. He's back, thank goodness. Ben Francis, producer, Overcast. was Overcast. very nervous Overcast. there. He thought he's gone for good. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm going to have to deal with Grant. Okay, Auckland, you might have sun on your back, but behind you is a Wellington Lion. Be very careful. The Wellington Lion's 50, what was it, 54, 54, 19. 57, something over 50. It was definitely over 50, wasn't it? It was definitely over 50. Pretty sure they put 50-plus on Auckland in the MPC semifinals last night. Uh, we will be back with the sporting tips you should probably run a mile from. Stay with us. This is the Saturday session at 17 away from 1. It is now 12 minutes away. 12 minutes away from 1 o'clock. Big thanks to all our guests today, especially our legend, Mr. Chris Martin. 233 test wickets for New Zealand. Really enjoyed uh, spending some time with him. Really uh, fascinating story. Yeah, good. And Scotty Stevenson. Scotty Stevenson to start with the Women's uh, Rugby World Cup. And then Chris Martin. Uh, just what an unbelievable career uh, as a bowler. And um, achieved some, some real heights. But I think getting into the minds of those legends. One, one thing with Chris that, uh, that struck me compared to the other legends is that he was pretty happy to be out of the game. But um, absolutely loved just the lifestyle that it gave him and the camaraderie. And I think most of the legends, they they are obsessed with the sport. I don't think Chris was obsessed with the sport, but I think he enjoyed the people around him. And he's just like such a nice guy, great team player. All right, let's get... And David Choate, of course, uh, provides a great analysis of the Danny Hay story and will be alongside us from 2.30 tomorrow afternoon. We will bring you live coverage of the Wellington Phoenix up against uh, the Central Coast Mariners. All right, Mr. Elliott, Mr. Francis, it is that time of the week where we offer our supposed sporting expertise wrapped up in some tips. My Lord, it's... it's so I've been distracted by Mark Clayton. What's that movie with... Uh, um, doing? What's his name? The little annoying guy, the Scientologist. Danny DeVito. What's his name? Yeah. Tom Cruise. Risky Business. He's rocking some Risky Business sunglasses. He is wearing pants. He's not, he's not going to slide in on his socks here, Clayton. Might do. He's talking a million miles an hour to someone else. As you can probably tell, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, he doesn't have his headphones on. So we can talk as much about Clayton because Clayton can't hear a darn thing. But he's in Shapiro. It sounds like Shapiro's is going to go off this afternoon. Well, if Clayton's any indication, get in early <laughs> before the show goes off air <laughs> when he pu- pulls out the plug. Let's get to our sporting tips. Yes, our sporting tips. We do have a disclaimer. It's called the sporting tips you should probably run a mile from. How did we go last week? Paulie, Ben, anyone keeping track? Um, I can tell you how I went. Because <laughs> you actually, you you walked the talk, did you? Yeah, I always do. Do you? I always do. <laughs> no, I went no good. Here's a state secret, I don't. I went no good. I just, I, I, I'm just here, I'm altruistic. I, I, don't I, want offer, to... my, I offer my um, knowledge free of cost, free of charge. Ben Francis, he scrambles around. Have you, have you got No, we made you go last week first. That would be unfair to do it two weeks in a row. Grant Elliott, you've got 14 burner phones on the go at the moment. Um, what, what sporting tips do you have for our, uh, for our audience? Well, as I said earlier, I'm never going to um, tell our listeners a great tip that I think could come in and not bet on it myself. So I, might, I always put a little bit on. I put my money where my mouth is. Um, 
This one's with the heart a little bit. It's Everton versus Tottenham. Now, for Everton to win one nil gives you nineteen dollars. Wow! So you're trying to you go on the exact score always. Exact score always difficult in football. Tottenham haven't been in good form. I know, oh. I know they've been getting some results, but you'd hardly say they're flying. They've got Harry. Everton Kane. until last before last week had the best defence in the Premier League, and they've got a little bit of form. Dominic like, Calvert Lewin coming back. They're scoring goals. They lost against Manchester United, but I also went for the half time full time double, which is at thirteen dollars. So draw at half time, and then Everton to win it. So that gives you thirteen dollars. So put on a little. So you're putting it all on on that one that one game. Sneaky ten dollars, and I get one hundred and sixty back. I like the sound of that. Good luck to you, Grant. Thank you. Um, good luck to everyone who does the opposite. <laughs> Here's Ben Francis. Hello, Ben. What have you got for us? I'm you, so... you bet the key. What are the Kiwis paying? A dollar point zero 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 one. Well, I don't know. When their first it, game of the... I don't know, because they're facing Michael Checker's Lebanon. So, who knows? Yes. We, we know Checker's got a bit of a history with upsetting New Zealand sporting teams. So, <laughs> Has he got David Kidwell in as defence coach? I actually think he does. That would be something. He does. I'm pretty, that would be fantastic. So. Uh, oh, good luck to the... Honestly, honestly, Daniel, I, I haven't actually got a pick. And, you know, there's, there's the old saying that is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, and <laughs> I, I went against my methods last week, and I and I, I did a bet, and I was so confident it was going to come in, and it didn't. So I've had, yeah. to, I've had to reassess here. Uh, so I'm just going to go back to my winning ways, and I'm just going to go whatever against you guys do again, because it works. It actually works. It's okay. the only form okay. of method which works. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll... Here's my dead set certainty. Canterbury and Wellington are definitely playing in the final next weekend. We know that, right? Because uh, Do you know why? Shit, because in my world, it just gives Canterbury another chance to heat more misery and Wellington in a final. Well, the odds so are that's th- my logic. Odds so are $3.30 for Bayer Plenty to be Canterbury. $3.80 now. $3.80. Blowing out to $3.80. $1.25. So there you go, Ben Francis. You could either take that one, which is the safe one, which is obviously not good for you because Bayer Plenty, um, I'm clear, aren't, aren't coming in. You might want to take this one. It's the toss of a coin game for me. The Silver Ferns up against Australia. Full coverage right here on SCNZ tomorrow. Um, $1.85 head-to-head each side. Ooh. New Zealand won the first game. I thought the New Zealanders in that first quarter were just superb. What were they out by? 11 goals. The speed of ball up the court. Um, Australia did take a while to adjust. Um, obviously got back into it, but never really threatened, I thought. So... Uh, but can you can you can you rule against Australia losing two in a row? A big call. If anything, I'd probably go the Diamonds to level it up. Backs against the world wall, circling the wagons, internal strife. They don't like a sponsor. Well, that's what Ooh. I was thinking. What you were but, aiming at? But you know, you know the Australian press. They'll be sharpening the knives on Sky. Mm. Rupert's boys will be sharpening the knives. If they lose that game, they'll cop a torrent of abuse. So are well, they? A bit dramatic. Are they going to lose the game? I'm tipping the I'm tipping the diamonds to level the series. There you so, go. So being Francis, the toss of the coin game or the dead cert, which which one will you take from those? As a man that used to live in the beautiful uh, bay, I'm going to go for the steamers. Oh, I would love that though too. I would <laughs> love that so much. Um, and my, I should probably not touch this game with the barge pole. Because I'm too way too emotionally invested. Uh, Liverpool are taking on Man City in the English Premier League. It is the Ooh. game of the round. It's been the game of the year for the last few years. Uh, our mate uh, Erling Haaland's paying a dollar fifty-seven to score. 
You haven't spoken about him uh, during this show. This no, is the I first haven't. time. Um, Liverpool have like conceded a goal, the first goal, about 10 games in a row, something stupid. I'm, I'm tempted in that. I'm tempted to go that. that. But I, I'm going a goal fest. I'm going over four and a half goals in this game, paying 355. More than four and a half goals. I'm, I'm pretty confident. And you, I feel like you know your football. You're really confident with your football. You've given exact scores and got it right sometimes. It's well, every dog has his day, didn't he? Well, I, I, cho- I choose horses based on middle names, mate. <laughs> yeah, but you're better with your sports teams. So this actually is a little bit qualified. But I take that as a compliment, but probably not. So enjoy your nil board draw between Man City and Liverpool. Um, you can blame me and send all complaints to Grant Elliott, care of SCNZ. <laughs> hey, great working with you as always, fellas. Have a good weekend. Thanks a lot, Benjamin. Thank you for the listeners. Really enjoyable. And to our guests, Chris Martin, Scotty Stevenson, Dave Choate. Good luck, Clado. Stay sober, mate. Catch you next week, team.